stretch out Then your skin can bring you so much pain Now I hear you say You got the best of both ways Won't you come and take a walk in my shoes Welcome to episode number 224 of the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week. Welcome to my co-host. Uh, I'm going to call him the Snoop, Snoop Dog of the Surf Coast, Julian Spence. Welcome to this week's podcast. Snoop-a-loop. Did you watch him today? Jeez, he reminds me of you. You're a bit of Snoop Dog. <laughs> no, I didn't. I was doing oh, work today. You, you need to watch it. Super trendy. Got the hair. Everything's going on. That's yeah, how I imagine you rocking around the Surf Coast. 50, isn't he? I don't know. I'm not sure what his age is. He would be. Yeah. He was big in like the mid nineties. That was oh, his day. Yeah, yeah. He was good. It's, so, it's well worth a watch. Definitely yeah. go check it out after this. I'm surprised you haven't watched it already. Actually, nah, busy at the moment. What I come down to? We went for a run. Uh, probably started. What time did it start? One a.m. Oh, I just one... I just watched it on YouTube after school. I didn't watch it live. Oh, the halftime thing. Yeah, just the halftime show, oh, the twelve yeah. minute ones. Yeah, are we going to watch that later, I reckon? Because it, it yeah. got good reviews. Yeah, it was pretty fun. It was pretty good to watch. Mm. Uh, Bradley Croker up in Canberra. The man, I'm not sure if you've been at the local protests up there. What's been happening at your end? Welcome to this week's show. Thanks, mate. Uh, firstly, Viv said, oh, you know, Brady and Julian will be talking about Super Bowl tonight. I'm like, no, they won't. <laughs> and I'm like, and there you go. First thing you said, um, yeah, nah, I've been crook. So I definitely wasn't at the protest. I was freaking on my deathbed on the weekend. So... Wasn't much fun to be honest. Crook again. I had no uh, good. yeah, like the kids and Viv were away for the weekend, so I'm like awesome, just me time. And then Saturday morning after my, I felt pretty ordinary running, and then just felt shit the rest of the weekend. So fe- fevers and no appetite. Um, yeah, so not good. Bit of long COVID, you reckon, or what's happening? Uh, no, so it was funny because I felt pretty crap Saturday morning after my run. And I was chatting to Viv because they were in Tumut for like horse races and they're doing some camping there. And uh, she's like, I'm like, oh, how are you going? She's like, oh, Lily threw up last night in the tent. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, so I reckon there's like, she's got a tummy bug and Viv, Viv felt a bit sick in the tummy earlier in the week. So I reckon it's just gone through the family, but we've just all uh, reacted a bit differently. And I just had, I had the same sort of fevers that I had when I had COVID for like 24 hours, but I feel a fair bit better now. That's good. What, you weren't interested in going to the races? You just stayed home? No, nah, no. Nah. So I'm not, yeah, I'm done done with fashions on the field for a while. It doesn't interest me. <laughs> it's not good. Tell us about your running week, though. Um, so you're good up until the weekend? Yeah, it started off okay. So Monday afternoon after work, um, did an hour out at Mulligan's with Jai and, and Rory. Um, so that was, yeah, pretty enjoyable, 4.16s. Uh, felt good name drop. Good yeah, good drop. name drop. Yep. Yeah, how do you go running with Jai? Like, obviously, you're his number one fan here in Australia. <laughs> like, do you fanboy him? Ask him to sign your car or anything? Just Real autograph your bonnet? No, no. Really odd, wouldn't it? It's all good. No, it's all good. He actually he actually messages me and says, hey, I'm no, you know, going out to Mulligan. They do. Yeah. Rory, Rory messaged me this afternoon saying, 5.15 at Mulligan's, if you're interested. I'm like, I've been sick. I won't be there. Does so. Jai send him or just Rory, though? No, both. Send yeah. me a screenshot if you can. All right. Please. I will. I will. A proof. I'll I'll send it when Moose is doing his week. I tell you um, what, Rory is really gagging for an interview if he's messaging you to go for a run. <laughs> he obviously hasn't been on the podcast yet. Uh, would be a good interview. Has he be... signed with Adidas as well? 
Yep, yep. And he went to like Indiana. Um, so he used to train with like Andy Bayer. I don't know if you guys have heard of Andy oh, Bayer. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. So he was um, very good. Yeah. So I'm sure he'd have a. I think he trained with. Um, I think Bayer was with Salazar for a bit actually. Um, but anyway, it would be a good chat. I will get him on at some point. Um, he was the next big thing coming out of college back then. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was yeah an hour four sixteens. Um, then on Tuesday, I headed out to the track. So I remember I mentioned this on the on last week's show that I was going to do my first session, and uh, a few of the guys that I coach were doing K reps at around that sort of three thirty pace off a minute recovery. So um, I did that, and yeah, it was it was quite an enjoyable session. Like it was like three thirties felt pretty controlled. Like my heart rate was high, but perceived effort wasn't. Um, you know, like, I guess you guys know, like, running a 330K doesn't, like, you don't feel, like, biomechanically like you're running that hard. And even from a breathing point of view, like, I was able to talk, like, during every single rep. Um, but my heart rate still hit, like, 170, um, which is pretty high for, for that sort of effort. But, yeah, got through all six of them. Um, I reckon would have averaged, like, 328s probably for the for the session. Uh, then Wednesday, um out at Mulligans again, just with Jai this time. Um, and this, yeah, this actually, I don't know if this was the start of me just starting to feel a bit crook, but it was off the back of work. Um, and I was, I was just a bit tired from work and it was reasonably warm. And um, yes, yeah, so we did an hour at 4.15, but that one was definitely felt harder than it did on, on the Monday. Um, so I'm sure it was an easy run for him, but not so easy for me, but you know, he's the big dog. So I just got to try and keep up. Is he injury-free? Is he going to race soon? Uh, yeah, so he's all good at the moment. I think he's heading um, up to Perisher again this week. Uh, and then nothing really scheduled. Like, they might try and, like, tee up a race here in Canberra before sort of nationals. And I guess there'll be the um, I guess there'll be a Melbourne track classic. I haven't really looked at the, um, the AA calendar. But I don't think there's that many top-line 1500s between now and nationals. Yeah, okay. And so, he's not going to world indoors? No, no, I don't think so. Um, but I think he's pretty he's pretty fit. Like, he gets fit real quick. So I actually said to him on the Wednesday run, I said, like, if you string if you string together a full year of training, like, at some point you're going to be pissed off because you don't see an improvement every week because you know what it's like. You, you get fit and then your sort of level of improvement just sort of plateaus, um, which you don't have to think for, for a guy his level, like – his level of improvement can't go up massively if he strings together like a year's worth of training, but who knows? Um, so it was Wednesday, Thursday, just got out on my own after work again. It was like 29 degrees, 427s, felt better than I did on um, on Wednesday. And then Friday, I did a treadmill session. So um, I did six minute reps at 330Ks. And after each six-minute rep, I just jumped off the treadmill and took a minute recovery. Um, yeah, like it felt okay. Like it certainly felt on the treadmill felt like I was running faster than I was when I was doing 330s on the track. And heart rate sort of got up to about 170. Um, I'd say it was com- I'd say it was comfortably hard. Like I definitely could have done another rep um, and was recovering pretty well in the the one-minute rest. So that was uh, that was that. One minute is short for six. Um, one minute recovery is short for six minute efforts, though. Yeah, but they're not they're not meant to be hard like six minute efforts. You know, it's probably like 
half marathon type sort of yeah, effort. Like your, your threshold and effort. Yeah. yeah. Like, but still, a minute for threshold yeah. efforts for six it's, minutes is pretty short. How many minutes? How many sets? I just did four. Four oh, by yeah. six? Yeah, by... I, I normally take two minutes. Yeah, I'd take two 90, minutes. Actually, I take 90 now. I found two minutes were a little bit too much. But see, I treat this more like a broken tempo as opposed to, and I think that's very, I think that's very different in terms of once you start treating it like intervals, there seems to be that little bit more um, perceived effort. Whereas for me, this was more broken, broken tempo, I suppose. Um, like before I got injured and before COVID, like the pace that I was doing this at, like that would be my straight 30 minute tempo. Um, and so I just wanted, yeah. I just wanted to break it up and, and it was enough because my heart rate was getting to mid to high 160s, um, like probably during rep two and three, like it hit, it hit 170 on the last rep. Um, but it was getting from 160 high back down into the 140s in the mm. in the one minute. So it was That's it good. was enough. You managed yeah. the heart rate pretty well. Like it didn't blow out on your reps. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and I think there's some merit in like it's very like, I suppose it's very Ingebrigtsen style type training um, in terms of you know they're not the effort isn't super high for six minutes and they're doing it off a minute recovery as well. So it is an Ingebrigtsen session. Well, it is, yeah, yeah. Unlike the guy that wrote on my um, Strava that it was a bit of a moose fart like variation, definitely not yeah, a I'm moose. I'm just reading that now. I don't know how definitely he's not a moose, moose fart like variation. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> you obviously didn't listen to the episode last week. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Saturday, uh, listened to the long and the short of it, episode six. But I look at it, I downloaded it, and it was like an hour forty. And I'm yeah, like, well, and none of them And because I was meant to be running with um, the group that I like, that I coach on Sunday around Lake Burley Griffin, so I'm like, well, I can't I can't listen to it on my long run this week. So I'll I'll listen to it on Saturday. But seeing how long it was, I, I started it when I got in the car <laughs> um, on the way to Mulligans, and then ran for 46 minutes, average 4:27, and then listened, kept listening to it. Stopped by the super, um, supermarket on the way home. And drove home, still listening to it, and got home and still had like twenty minutes left. <laughs> so it was a good episode, though. That's a sign of a good show if like three of them are not doing a lot of training, but they can still do a hour forty minute episode. Yeah, it was good. And race of the week was the two thousand and fifteen women's fifteen hundred meter world championship race won by Debarba. So when Luke said that race, did you know it straight away off the top of your head? Uh... Like you would recall it. Uh, no, not really. Yeah, neither yeah. could I. I'm yeah. like, oh, this is throwing a bit of spanner in the works here. I'm not sure about this one. It, it made me rem- it made me remember it was that period where she did break the world record for the 1500, though. That's yeah. yeah. Um, and that's basically the end of the week. So I got home from that run, and then I just started to feel like sick in the stomach. Um, yeah, ch- fever, chills. Uh, so I pretty much didn't eat like most of the day. Um, tried to then watch like the Adelaide meet from bed, but like just wasn't sure that I was going to be able to stay up. And then um, got up Sunday morning, like still couldn't stomach like cereal or coffee or anything like that. Went and had a COVID test in the morning, um, which that came back negative uh, last night. Um, and yeah, didn't run, which which made me think like I could have gone for a run yesterday and. These people, like, it's almost a moose on the loose, but fucking people that, like, are obsessed with, like, streak running, it's like, at some point, it's, 
it does more damage than good. Like, yes, I respect consistency, but sometimes you've just got to cut your losses and take take a day off. Um, so I didn't run yesterday and I didn't even run today because I still felt a bit queasy, queasy in the stomach. And I figured I, I hadn't eaten as much over the weekend, so I may as well try and fuel up a bit before I go out and run again. So, you know but, who's the um, Sean Crichton oh, is the king of streets. Your mate. Don't get me started. Like some of the stuff I've seen from him. But he's so, he's such a sensible guy. Yeah. His episode, people listen to that going like, this guy's got so much wisdom. And then you read his Strava and he's just pushing through injuries by the look of things. Yeah, yeah. So I don't I don't uh, tend to agree with some of that. But anyway, he's still a knowledgeable man. Uh, very good. I do notice as well. You might give a shout out to Strava. Have you cancelled your Strava subscriber stuff? Uh, I tried. I just tried to sit down Tuesday night, Moose. Just put two kids to bed. Just scroll through Strava. Wanted to check Croker's splits. Couldn't see him. Oh boy! See, I had to. I paid. I got the credit card out. I'm back at the subscriber. Thanks, Ryan Sham, for the first year. Got a shout out, Ryan. He, he looked after me there. But no, this year, I, a week ago, I paid. Didn't Strava offer to pay for Strava, you? Well, they paid. Well, yeah, Strava, they pay for you, Croaks? Strava paid mine, but then um, they cut me. Like I got these messages yeah. in the lead up to. The, so Probably been they, listening to the show. They must have said it though to end on like December thirty one, because in the lead up to December thirty one, I was getting the messages saying subscription is about to expire, and I still actually I'm looking now. Your subscription has expired due to missing credit card information. Please upgrade in order to continue subscribing. So I've been oh, cut so you from that. They only hooked your one year free. Yeah, one year free ambassador but, fee. But but do you know what? If you actually, um, it is annoying though when you're on your phone, you can't see people's lap splits. Yeah, so I I generally look at people's Strava, especially like people I coach on um on the desktop. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and you can see all the splits there. You can, and I've got Final Surge and stuff for the guys I coach. But it's just you just want to scroll through when you're sitting on the couch at night time. Mm. You know what I mean? You don't want to bring your laptop down. Just want to, yeah, that's annoying when people do that. So, um, yeah, it was a week of about 80K or 81. 80K, yeah. You were back rolling, but a bit of an interruption, but I still think those two workouts, step forward. Yeah, I just, when I got sick again, it just made me wonder whether I just need to respect this whole COVID thing a little bit. Like even, and I don't know what you guys think, but like hitting 170 for K reps when I'm running 330s, like, and I'm able to like, like hold hold conversation seems a bit odd whereas you know when i'm fit if i get above 170 like i'm i'm gasping for air and i'm, I'm not talking to anyone mm. thoughts yeah well you went from doing no workouts to you also threw two of them into your first week yeah i would have maybe just gone with one but I still think the stomach bugs bugs something probably from daycare. That's what smacked you around. Yeah, I I agree. So anyway, I'll um I won't do a session tomorrow. I'll just jog and then uh, yeah, just see how this week pans out. All right, Moose, what have you been doing? Getting fit? Saw some video footage of you running with your shirt off yesterday. Oh, good video. What do you think of the video? Some very pretty uh, environments down there, isn't there? What you like the trails? I couldn't work out why the, the why the unfittest guys at the front of the pack though. No, no, I'm a Sunday. With his shirt off. Alpha's got an alpha, Brady, right up front, lead what the about, way. What about your mate Matty Gunther though? He'd have oh, to yeah, be no the, um, He'd have to be the fittest in the group. Since when he had like and a month off, he got on. fat. 
He's, How's his new teaching job going on that real big money? Oh, he wasn't actually talking about his salary. I'm <laughs> yeah. not going here anymore. Private school teachers hate that when you bring that up. <laughs> anyway, no, he's, fucked. he's got. He's actually. <laughs> his comment on Sunday's run was he. He has t- taught for five years now, and four years hasn't done any work, which is what you and Brad. That's the boat you're in. And he said this year, doing a lot of work. Already, two weeks state, in. State schools work harder than private schools. No, nah, no. Nah, he's been at state schools. He said, don't do shit there. And, uh, yeah, he's 72 hours, he reckons, last week. <laughs> 72 hours. What he reckons. Coaches yeah. the cross-country team and the cricket team. Oh, yeah, a lot of after-hours stuff there. APS. Well, it's probably worth every cent of that 185000 he's making. <laughs> anyway, I'll um, you run a week. Yeah, well, it was 140k worth of running for me, so I thought that was pretty good. That's I'm going to have an easier week this week actually because uh, just wanted to. Like had three semi decent weeks in a row. I think I went 140, 130 maybe, and then um, what did I go back to? Uh, 140 this week. So yeah, just. Um, just gonna back it off because I don't want to push it right now. Uh, Achilles is feeling pretty good. So Monday morning, I actually took my um, phone out. No, I didn't. That was Tuesday morning. Monday morning, ran um, an hour just around town, just chilled out, 440s, and then the afternoon, 435 with a way lower heart rate. It's just something about the afternoon. My body loves it. If I could race at like 5 p.m., that's when I would race. Like that's peak, peak Julian time. Uh, I don't know something about the diet, diet or whatever is perfect running. Um, is your heart, do you measure your heart rate when you get out of bed? Like is it uh, high first thing? I don't measure. Because isn't that. it meant to be the lowest? Like when you first wake up? I don't know, but remember we had this chat like two years ago when I was trying to work out why my yeah. heart rate was so high on morning runs. Yeah, that's more the morning run than like the straight out of bed. Yeah, but, no, but that's. Yeah, but that's what he's talking about. That you know, when when Moose runs in the morning, his heart rate's way higher than it is mm. when he runs in the afternoon. I reckon, and I reckon I'm very similar. I reckon it's largely because I'm I'm less efficient in the morning because you just not um, your range of motion and everything's just not as loose as it, as it is. So Could you're probably that. having yep. to put a bit more effort in for 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 the return. Yep. Yep, mm-hmm. I'm definitely limping around in the mornings. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's that could be it. Uh, next morning, got out for a morning run. Uh, it was an absolute perler of a morning. You can see the loop. This is sort of my loop now that I'm doing a lot. Just check out some of those photos. Got the coal mine there. I'm not supposed to be in there. I'm I'm I'm, I'm in the wrong area. Um, weren't you in somewhere last week? You weren't meant to be in. The yeah, water, the water area in Ballarat. Like they've got the best trails behind the fences. So this is um this is just a shut road, closed road. So they're they're filling the old coal mine, turning into a lake, and that's um that's the like that would be a massive lake. You just don't get an idea how big the actual um mine is. Um, Jeez, you've done a real photo dump here, haven't you? Yeah. What do you? I like it. I just wanted to give. Oh, there's Pierre. Um, he is there as well. Well, that's the new. The new Strava seems to give us more of a um, like they split the photos more. Bit easier to see them. Or... Yeah, it is. Yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, training camp live and well. Get, you're coming down, Brady. It'd be good to see you and Carly. Yeah, Carly wants to go. She said to me the other day, she's like, "What are you, what are our chances of getting down there?" 
Yeah, come down. Slim to none. You can uh, you can look after the kids. Carly comes running. She's getting back too, Carly. She's getting back. Doing, Bring some doing, mates. Doing Girls some trip. Exercises on the carpet this morning. I saw. Girls trip. Walking. I reckon. Hey, Moose, I like the How big... many weeks are we going to plug this for before we fill the spots? I like the big wide fire road over oh, yeah. the um, over the one that's on the coastline there. Yeah, there's a bit of uh, a bit of mulligans about it. You think? Well, I just pref- I'd prefer running on that surface than the other trail. Um, what other trail? Well, the one that's got the um, the beach on the right the hand side there. Yeah. This is oh, terrible yeah. radio, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Gee, they're pretty similar tracks, to be honest. No, they're not. No. One's a full road. The other one's, one's way a better. Go track. Yeah, that, that beach track gets a bit busy in summer too. Um, big climb though. This is the top of the climb, right, from that race, the Rue Run. So you see this is the climb at the very end. Bang, up the top there. Anyway, um, had a jog that evening in Ballarat. So four doubles this week. This was the second of it. Um, got in a big path. Hey Cedric, mm. and then oh, I didn't uh, I didn't show you the morning run. Did a lap of the lake in the morning as a warm up before my workout, which was not very impressive. So five by three minutes, solid, ninety second jog. I uh, did it around the lake. So normally the lake like six k. I thought oh yeah, I get six by three minutes. That's eighteen minutes. Didn't really factor in the the minutes in between. Kind of, I jogged in. Oh, no, it took 90 seconds in between. So, yeah, I actually did the reps. Like, I thought I would maybe hit three minute, 305 pace, but a lot, like, if I if I have a look here, and I, it, um, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't fast. Um, <laughs> I was struggling. So, first one was 309s. And honestly, I, I felt like I was going 250s. And then 307, 306, 307, 307. Uh, yeah, it, it was mechanical for me. I just couldn't get a smooth range of motion. Like my back was a bit sore because it always is on Tuesdays after the drive up to Ballarat and then a full day at work. It's it, So I run an hour, drive 90 minutes, straight into like eight hours of work, which is moving boxes, packing boxes, that kind of stuff, and then straight out running that afternoon. And then the next morning I'm a bit cooked through the um, the lower back and the hips. So I can never I can never get a good smooth gait. But anyway, I got it done. I was supposed to do six of them. I finished at the car number five and thought, yeah, bugger, this is enough. <laughs> got the work in today. And would never have done that in the past, so maybe it's a sign. 4K, cool down. Sign, sign for what? Sign motivation that, is low. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sign motivation is low. You reckon? I think it's more that mechanical stuff. Like when you're not smooth, you don't want to push through being not smooth. Whereas when things are clicking, you're covering the ground well, you're nailing workouts, you're like, of course I can do another rep. Yeah. Can you remind me what that feels like again? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to bang on about that in my week in a second. It feels like we're all in the same boat. But do you know what I mean? It's like you're not pulling that workout because you're not motivated to train. You're pulling that workout because it doesn't feel how it's meant to yeah. feel. Doesn't you don't really want to run another rep? Mm. Whereas, yeah, when you are feeling good, it, it. I was talking about this with Watto today about being on the track and how good it used to feel, and how you remember like pulling out fast workouts and getting to the last rep and just like letting go, and your body could take you. You'd never complain about your legs locking up. You'd always just complain about how out of gas you were, 
And mm. now it's the opposite. Now it's like, oh, I'm so sore, I can't even move my leg properly. Uh, and and I think like I'm I'm taking the Brad Croker, the non-Brad Croker advice, we'll call it. And I'm going to back off that speed work stuff because I just don't see it being uh, a good risk reward decision to go mm. out there and run fast. Uh, I can get a workout in. I can do three tens for a, for a K. And for me at the moment, that's that's bloody good workout. Whereas if I try and run 500s at 255s, that that's stretching my biomechanical limits right now, and it's placing some stress on areas that are not used to that stress and maybe a bit too old and past it to handle it. Yeah, and do you think as well, like the older we get, the more sitting in the car for hours on end and like carrying kids on your hips mm. and things like that. I think that's like I could sit in the car for eight. I used to drive like 80 minutes to do workouts in Bendy on a Tuesday night kind of and get out of the car like straight into like a 410K in the warm-up. Yep. But now it feels like getting out of the car, as you said before, like driving to work is a massive like impact on the on the running ability. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, I like there's a few things changing for me that will like remove that a bit more from my life, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, but at the moment it's a reality of what it is and we work we don't run for a living yeah Man, so we're sounding old right here though we're yeah. sounding real old this yeah. is good i'm liking this because i've been oh. i've been feeling like the old guy whinging for ages and now you guys are on the same page <laughs> well i was whinging at archie yesterday and i'm like i'm still only 34 and i'm whinging about this stuff like brad was running well at 40 i'm mm. like and he used to say to us like wait till you get to 39 <laughs> or whatever and i'm like piss off brad i'm sure we'll be fine when we get to 39 Prime. But everyone <laughs> used to say, like, I remember when I started running, oh, you, you're in your prime in your late 30s. You've still got, <laughs> you've still got 15 years left. And I was like, oh, boy, that's a long time. I'm never yeah. – and now we're there. Right. Who's going to make right it past it. Uh, anyway. I like, um, the, I like the approach, though, Moose. I agree. And, uh, like, I think I'm going to do something similar. Like, and I think, yeah, like, just back off the intensity. At the end of the day, our sport is so aerobic and um, – I don't know if you guys have seen, but the guy that won the 5,000 metres and the 10,000 metres speed skating at the Winter Olympics. Oh, he, I've heard a lot about this. Yeah, I've it everywhere, but I, I haven't read it yet. read it this morning and read it this afternoon. Like it's, it's a real long read, but it pretty much documents his training for the last three years. And this guy, this guy's events last between, well, it's like uh, six or seven minutes for the 5K and, I don't know, 12 minutes or something for a 10K. But he's out doing six and seven hours. He does five days on, two days off, and he rides basically six hours a day. He rides? At, yeah, rides, yep. But rides a bike? Rides a bike, yep. Um, during these, during his aerobic phase, he'll either ride a bike, he'll run some ultras, but it's all aerobic zone. So we're talking like 60 to 70% max heart rate, and he'll do that for six hours a day for five days straight and then have two days off. And this guy's, you know, he's the world record holder in the five and the 10k on the track events that take six to 12 minutes in length mm. so it just goes to show that if you build your aerobic engine like you can run you can do things over a short distance really well um, and what he said in there was that the stronger his aerobic base was the better his anaerobic work and the more of it he could do mm. because of how strong he was um, yeah that's that's really interesting i'm reading a book it's called run Oh, geez. 
Run Strong, I think it's called. It's edited by a guy called Kevin Beck, and it's a lot of chapters of different well-known coaches who um, all contribute with a chapter. Um, and one of them was Joe Rubio. I don't know whether you've heard of him. Is that Craig Mottram on the front cover? Yeah, yeah. Mottram's on the front. Um, Jeez, 115 bucks to buy this book. Yeah, it's expensive. It's worth it. Like that, uh, There's a lot of chapters I just skip straight through because they're about stretching and strength and stuff. But this one was fantastic to read. Um, there was two of actually two chapters, Joe Rubio's chapter and someone else's chapter. Uh, shit. I forgot his name. I'm still reading it. But, um, oh, yeah, I've got all the names here. Roll a few off. No, half of them I probably can't pronounce properly. Greg McMillan, Pete Fitzinger, Jack Youngurin, um, Michael Levitt, Kyle Hefner, Mark Elliott, Scott Douglas, Mark Coogan, Gwen Coogan, Chris Korak. Have I missed that one? Obviously, no. I haven't hit the name you're waiting for. I don't think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I reckon it was. Oh, anyway, it was. It's talking about. Um, it was like old school approach to marathoning, like um, uh, volume based training. And um, I was just reading it, and I was just like, "Oh, this makes so much sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is fitting with everything that I agree with. I really loved it. Probably because it just like suited my bias to it, but." I don't know. I I was happy to read someone that agreed with me. Like they don't really like his speed work. He might do. He might have someone do like a like a faster faster than five k pace once every two to three weeks or something. Um, whereas we focus on doing that all the time, like once a week normally. Well, this when I read this, uh, it was very Lydiard style, but for speed skating. Um, outside of the fact that you know he did so much. Other like so, like so much running, cycling, cross country skiing, like all those other sort of aerobic activities, other than actually skating, which is the event that he's just training for, um, especially during his aerobic phase. But then when he got into his, I guess, like specific training period in the lead up to events, he would then do basically interval sessions like five days in a row, and they would be like um, three sets of eight laps of the track so it takes them about 30 seconds to do a lap so you're looking at um three sets of four minutes with um i think it was like 90 seconds sort of you know recovery then he'd have like a 30 minute break come back and do that again but he so he'd be doing intervals like every day for five days straight before two days rest which was very similar to lydiard during that period where they do like intervals you know, mm, yeah. most days, most days of the week after after that aerobic base. Yeah. So anyway, those that are interested, I've just forwarded it to you, Moose. It's um, www.howtoskate.se. So it's a long read, but um, yeah, it's it's quite intriguing. Yeah, I've um, I, someone else sent me this, but I didn't get a chance to read it yet. Mm. Thanks. Uh, anyway, got on the cross trainer that night. Finding it harder to get my heart rate up now that I'm a bit fitter. So 116 average. That's that's. <laughs> this is some low heart rate stuff at the moment. I'll, I watch a movie. It's hard to keep. Like I got to keep the cadence up to get the um the heart rate up. Uh, ran an hour the next morning <clears throat> on those 60 30 doubles. Arvo run around Anglesey as well, and then did a workout the next morning. So I looked after Pia while Bree ran first thing and then got out for my tempo run. So 
I was going to do, I did 45, well, the plan was 45 minutes tempo, which for me, my definition of tempo is below threshold, so around marathon effort. And I did it on a little bit on the side road of the Great Ocean Road, and then we hooked down Forest Road, which is like a country road. It's asphalt, but there's, the cyclists really love it because it's flat. Um, but there is no bike lane and there's uh, like a dirt shoulder. It's, it's quiet-ish, but the, um, you do get some cars flying down. Um, anyway, it was pretty windy, so I had a tailwind on the way down, and I, then I just did it out and back, so I just went out with the tailwind. Um, felt downhill, but it actually wasn't. It was, it was pretty much the same. Um, and average 325 on the way out, 162 it felt pretty slow um it felt like i had my like had the brakes on because the heart rate would just creep up a little and creep up a little so i was just constantly had the brakes on and then turned around at 22 and a half minutes um and then yeah copped a bit of a headwind and so it made it harder to keep the heart rate down so i really had to slow my pace so i ended up averaging 336 on the way back but my heart rate was up to 170 average and uh, it was like this was easy it wasn't a difficult workout like I didn't feel when I finished like I needed to stop or have a break and I think I'm missing those types of workouts this is what I said I was going to change last week and I reckon I probably did change it this week with um with this workout because I woke up the next day felt really good um didn't feel like I was stressed in any way like I, I jogged um uh, I drug that. No, I got on the cross trainer that Arvo. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a good work. I averaged three thirty one all up, and so that's like probably around where my marathon pace is right now. If I'm honest, like probably is about like two twenty seven, two twenty eight. Um, if I was going to go run one, so I think I got it right using heart rate. Be interesting to come back and do this at another time um, with the same sort of heart rate prescription. But again, you'll never really know because of the wind and, and the heat. Saw a big snake on the cool down though. Um, got this big like, it was copperhead. Asked my mate Blake Hose, who loves snakes. Uh, took a video of it. It was just, have you guys seen the snake this year? Uh, I haven't actually. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't run much either. <laughs> yeah, well, this big summer. one. Anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so next day I thought, yeah, I'll get out for a nice easy run here. Just run an hour and ran up the biggest hill in Anglesey, like literally the biggest hill and nearly walked at the top. Uh, it, was just, it was just a dreadful idea. I have no idea how I found myself running up it, but I did. Uh, jogged the Arvo and then Sunday morning, so I got out. You can check out the um, Run Strong pay, Instagram page. Check the video from this run. We've got Ali out on the GoPro on her bike, so she was filming a bit. Uh, I did two hours, 27K, took it a bit easier than the other week, so felt, still felt pretty cooked at the end, really, like wanted a drink, felt sore through the hips and just fatigued all over, really. That's but, just a, that's just yeah. a lack of, like, that's just a lack of strength and, and like mileage and consistency, really, like that, that comes back. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I, and, and it makes it, it makes you realize, like, this is enough stress without running fast, 
Yeah. Uh, so why would I try to run fast when like my body is barely handling just running easy? Which one of my questions about that tempo you did, because like I reckon there's a lot of value in those sort of long steady state runs where you're always in control. Like you build like a lot of strength from those runs. Um, but also like I, you know, 45 minutes is quite long when you haven't really been doing a lot of them. Like, and so did you feel like you're starting to get like just fatigued legs towards the end from a strength point of view? Um, I didn't really, like I felt pretty good. I, well, the last kind of mile was downhill. And so that made it feel really good because my heart rate dropped and I could get my pace up and I just rolled home. So yeah, I reckon maybe if I had to go up the hill for the last mile, it'd be different. Mm. I just, I had trouble focusing. So like my head wasn't really in it. Even at 10 minutes in, I'm like, oh fuck, I've got to go another 12 and a half out before I have to turn around. I'm really, like I'm not enjoying this. There's nothing, like I, it just wasn't, I wasn't in the right zone. But then I reckon I found the right zone on the way back and I just had to, uh, I just had to find this, this, the mental headspace to, to get through it. Because you're right, 45 minutes, it can go. It's a fairly decent time just to be in the one pace or the yeah. one effort without any fartlek breaks. Or, and I'm on a pretty flat road. There was nothing to break it up too much. Like I couldn't, I didn't get a hill or I didn't get um, different scenery. It was pretty much just a boring country road. Yeah. So it's a good one to practice. Mental, like mental fitness is a thing. And being able to practice your, your mental strategies and, um, and, and that kind of stuff is, is important. So that's where those low, long workouts are, are good. In, in, anyway, 140 for the week and, yeah, down week this week. Good week. Good amount of mileage. Mm. Yeah, I've uh, the stuff you guys have been banging on about the last twenty minutes, thirty minutes is exactly some of the stuff I realised this week in my training week. Just, just battling ten k Monday, fifty minutes, four forty eights, and like it wasn't even that hot. It was like sixteen degrees, but I just can't seem to get moving. Um, Tuesday, I and I'm not trying to force things. I'm just like, you know, when you, you know, sometimes when you start, the first couple of k's are like rough. And mechanically, you just think you're no good, mm-hmm. but then you come good. My runs are like that, but the whole time. Yeah. And I just and I, and I don't try and force it. I'm like, okay, obviously I'm not recovered or something's going on here. Like, don't try to push it. So I keep them slow. But I think I've identified a few a few issues. Um, one being that I've been doing too much work in spikes, trying to trying to jump in with Archie, um, and maybe I'm a bit too old for that. So on the Tuesday, I did an eight minute threshold. Um, I did. Uh, 309k pace for the eight minutes and averaged i think 160 beats per minute and then we spiked up and did like 12 by 200 meters with 200 meters jog between and the twos were pretty like not flat out like 32 33 just kind of trying to work out a bit quicker than his uh 5k pace so that was a really good workout like didn't really cook as much but just didn't feel that smooth doing it and we did that off 200 meters jog so like yeah pretty generous recovery there but then Wednesday, like, oh, I got out for a jog half an hour that night. Same thing, though, 4.47 for 31 minutes. Uh, Wednesday, I was really battling. I did an hour, an average 4.59s. It was a bit hot and humid. Heart rate's still low, like 125 beats average, but just can't get going to save myself. Easy one in the afternoon after putting Hudson in the bed or in the night, about 7.35, I think I got out for half an hour, 4.46s. Uh, then that would be Friday we're talking about now. 
Now Thursday, easy hour again on Thursday, 4.47s for 14K, and another easy jog Thursday night. And this was probably the first time I ran under 4.30 pace for the whole week. And I just felt maybe it's a morning thing as well, like maybe I've been struggling to sleep a bit because I've been doing my second run at like 7.30 p.m. I think I said this last week, I'm not getting to bed until a bit later, which means I'm hitting snooze a few times on my alarm and like literally getting up like 15 minutes before I go out the door. And that's not good for me. Like back in the day, I could pull that off. But now I need to get up and do a bit of activation stuff and jump on the foam roller and get the massage gun going because, um, yeah, I'm struggling in the morning. So that's another thing I've got to get better at. And then Friday night, I went down to Bendigo. They had the 5K Frenzy again, which I offered to pace because I didn't think I was in really good shape to um, be competitive in running it. And I thought it'd be more value if I can get things going in the first couple of Ks and, and set up hopefully a fast race. Windier than last year, Moose. Bloody windy. I reckon oh, it was about 25 year, K the winds. Last year was pretty windy, mate. This was, yeah, on par, if not worse. Like last year was pretty windy, but so was this year. Exactly the same spot as well. Straight up the home straight there. Just smashing us. Um, Matt Buckle and I had this plan. He was the other pacer that we're going to do 600 meters each. Because we didn't want to, like one one plan was that someone would take maybe 2K and then the other person would maybe sit in and then try to get it to 3K. But because you'd have to run into that wind, you know, five times for 2K, we thought we'd swap it every 600 metres. That way you can pass before you get on the bends. And, um, and that way hopefully we could both kind of stay until 3K and both get a decent workout. Kind of out of it as well. But um, that plan didn't, yeah, last real long because... Uh, is it Seth? Let me tell you Seth's last name. Seth O'Donnell. O'Donnell. Yeah, he wasn't real keen. So I think everyone was pretty keen for the, the 1425 pace and then, you know, ideally kick down from that to get a bit under under that and kind of have a bit of a crack for a faster time once we dropped out. But I think we got maybe two laps in. It was when Matt was having a bit of a go at the front and Seth just went straight past him and, um, you know, went in front of us, us two as pacemakers but didn't really increase the pace like probably ran exactly the same pace that we were running so then i went past him again to try to be like hey it's all good like i can run this pace this is this is our job we're happy to do it and then he probably sat behind us for another 600 um and we were spot on like we got to four laps in exactly 436 like on the absolute knocker which is what we we're meant to do and then 2K come around and and he was kind of, yeah, just pushing off the front a bit. And Andy Buchanan was in a situation where he had to kind of keep an eye on him because he wanted to win the race, of course. So he'd kind of then kind of go around us as well just to keep him in contact. And, um, yeah, I got to 2K and I'm just like, I have no value to these guys anymore. They're doing it themselves. And I didn't feel great anyway. Um, so I just stepped off at 2K. So he kind of did 2K at, I don't know, 253, 254K pace. And then just yelled out lap splits for the rest of the guys um, later on. And it was a good little race in the end. Like, Andy kind of did it perfect. He um, he kind of sat back on that pace and then let Seth do a bit of the work and then probably put six seconds into him the last two laps to run 14.10 and Seth ran 14.16. And then uh, Nath Stoke was third in 14.27 for a PB and Archie was fourth, 14.33 for a PB. And then Toby he was uh, 14.33 as well, Moose. So um, a lot deeper than last year. What did you run last year to come second? Can't even remember. 14.40. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't that fast. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Was, yeah. but I think because we set the pace from the start this time, yeah. like last year we, we just knocked around for two or three yeah. Ks. So, yeah, there was 13 guys under um, 
1447, which is good. So solid for a windy night. Um, so yeah, it was a long way to go though. Bendigo to do to do um, 2k and then drive home. And then Saturday, I just got out for another easy jog again. Um, what was that? Oh, I don't know what that was. An hour. Or 39s. Yeah. And then uh, got out for uh, 95 minutes with Archie for his, he had two hours. So I got out for, yeah, a couple of um, minutes with him. An hour 35 at 4.23s. And starting to feel a bit better. But yeah, I think I've got to get out of the spikes. Do like the more training you guys are talking about, like that that threshold tempo work just put a few weeks together doing that kind of stuff i think sitting in the car for four hours down at ocean grove and back last week didn't hurt me i didn't help me and i also i went to the skate park the other week and i was doing some stuff on the skateboard and i reckon i reckon that just banged up me hammy a bit i was trying to grind this kind of um this rail i took yeah, down there on his bike and I, I took my old skateboard <laughs> i was dropping in stuff i was still pretty pretty impressed with my skills but i reckon i i remember I couldn't figure out why my hammy was sore, and then I was at work today, and I'm like, ah, yeah, it was when you were trying to board slide that rail at the skate park last Thursday. So I'm going to stay off the skateboard, stay out of the spikes, stay away from fast reps, and just try and string, stay out of the car for any long trips the next couple of weeks, and um, just try to string some decent training together. So I was 124k, so that's all right, okay mileage. They just got to do some good stuff. But, um, but boys, I did get an interesting phone call traveling down to Bendigo on Friday night. Did anyone call you guys during the week last week? No, nah, mate. No, no, one, calls, no one calls Inside me. Inside running, race related? Okay. I wasn't sure if they called all of us and they were like playing, they're just trying to suss us all out. Nothing? No. no. I thought I'd wait to bring it up on air. But um, Archie was driving and my phone was ringing and I answered it and it was an invitation for the three of us to do the same race. Okay. Yeah, and I was like, oh, cool, this is interesting. Like, you want all three of us there? And they're like, yeah, and we want Archie, and, and we want a couple of, like, Andy Buchanan. And you want Archie? More people, yeah. And I'm like, what? And then, anyway, so it's a pretty big race, boys. Broadcast live on television, the only race that's broadcast live on television each year. And it should be set up that we've all got equal chance to win. Do you know what I'm talking about? Equal chance to win? Yeah. They stall, said stall, stall. Yeah, the elite mile at Stall have sent oh. us an invitation to be in it. The mile? So, so one mile. We don't yeah. have a chance to win it. What are you talking you, about? Did you hear me it's, just it's handicapped. He's, he's, give, he's given away the speed work. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> and eh? you said you're getting out of spikes. I'm not, yeah, well, the only time I'm getting back in spikes is to smoke you two boys up at the Stall Gift on Easter Monday. So, um, yeah, they said, would you be interested? They're going to... They're going to change the handicap to 110, 120 metres this year. So you kind of got to be in low four-minute shape. And they said they'd work out, listen to the show, figure out our handicaps, and then, yeah, an opportunity to race live, Channel 7. I'd have to give you two boys a bit of a start too, you reckon? It's not until April, though. So this is the second mile. This ain't the big mile. No, this is the big one, the Herb Hederman Elite Mile, the one that I won in 2012 when I kicked down Jeff Risley. Remember that? <laughs> what, why, would they, why would they want... I, can't, well, like, I don't know. They're like, we listen to the show. We think it's cool. We know you guys hardly race each other. Like, would you be interested to come to stall if we gave you an invitation? Oh, I mean, that would be so fun. It's fun. They're like, don't pay. We'll give you some petrol money. Like, oh, don't we, pay yeah. Red Joes. Anything like this. We'll look after you if you want to come. That would be really fun, actually. Jeez. It would be it fun. Is, Nothing is, to lose. Yeah. It, like, stall has been on sort of my bucket list. Like, probably more so when I was running track. Um 
But yeah, if it was a two mile, it would probably be more. Uh, but it's handicap croaks. You yeah, can I know. Run a, you can run a sixty-four second. Like you, if you pretty much got to run four minutes off your handicap to win it. Yeah. So for international listeners, this is a big. They call it professional, like handicap running in Australia, like a really long, rich history. And this mile is the back marker runs a full mile, and then they pretty much have people every five or ten meters, and it's a pretty closed handicap race up until about 110 meters. So it's all, it's not like those pro races where you've got to give people a lap head start. There's a lot of guys that we talk about who win Vic Myers clubs and state champs, and they usually get a real big dog as the back marker. So we could have someone like Stewie chasing us down, fellas. Imagine us, 100 meters in front of Stewie. He'd have us within a lap. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the max handicap, 100? Well, yeah, they. Oh, I think they're going to push it out to 110, 120. They like to push it out a bit to like, they prefer to push it to 110, 120 and get 20 guys in that gap than have just 10 guys if they keep it at 80, 90 kind of thing. Mm. Okay, okay. Mm. Easter Monday. Think about it, fellas. Think about oh, it. Oh, yeah, no, Couldn't, I appreciate that opportunity. It's is a magic place. I mean... There's a bit of history there, right? Yeah. And we're getting older. Like, what have we got to lose? Oh, calves, hamstrings, <laughs> everything. Achilles. Yeah, all our pride. I'll uh, I'll put it to Viv, but it is uh, it oh, is appealing. There's a fashions on the field in store. I oh, know, I oh, know. They do like a whole fashion thing the day before mm. or something. Yeah, mm, I'm keen. I'm keen. Actually, I'm I'm on board this. <laughs> I think it'd be good. It'd be good content for the show. Yeah, I, I, we've yeah. all just said we're not doing speed I like work. It. <laughs> You like it? Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm I'm big. I'm already getting nervous. All right, I wasn't sure. I thought they might have stitched me up and said called all three of us, but um, okay. Yeah, so we've got about what two months to train for it. Yeah. Oh, gee. Plenty of time. I'm going to come at it from the speed skating point of view, though. I think it'll be more aerobic work than yeah, speed work. Yeah, me too. Just doing ultras. <laughs> going to have to do some plyometrics. I'm going to have to find a coach, a track coach. Oh, actually, I'll just look over my training diary for when I won it 10 years ago. Oh, mate. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> that's, anyway. that's got injury written all over it if you're trying to compare what you did 10 years ago. Cause no, I, don't I know, actually. I know if I went back to my training diaries from 2004 and tried to replicate that, it wouldn't last very long. Yeah, true. That's a bad idea. Anyway, so that should be a bit of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, should we thank some Patreon supporters? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I got Lindsay Green this week. So Lindsay lives in Dulwich Hill, which is a suburb of Sydney. Uh, has run thirty-one forty-four uh, for the Cooks River Park run, and also sixty-four minutes for ten k at the Sydney Running Festival. But boys, she's a big dog of the podcasting world. She's yeah, a podcast, pro- yeah, podcast producer for Podcast One Australia at Southern Cross Osterio. Um, and he's the On Her Game podcast producer. So is that the one with Sam Squires? Um, it's the one that Sinead was on. Is that that one? I think no. so. I think it is. Jess Sam was Squires talking about it. Yeah, yes. I, think Sam's, I think Sam Squires is the host. Um, and so Lindsay's the producer of that. So uh, firstly, thanks for your support, Lindsay. And maybe you could um, give us some tips to oh, help why, us why out. Don't we get a, why, this is a big opportunity, boys. It is one with Sam Squires. Yep, that's yeah. it, Brad. Yep. So, um, yeah, big dog. Awesome. Thanks for your support, Lindsay. That was pretty cool to see her name there. And then when I – she did send us a nice message thanking Jess for talking mm. about um, oh, the Sinead yeah. podcast. And then when I started looking her up and looked at her LinkedIn and stuff, I'm like, whoa, this is, she does this stuff for a job, boys. Podcast yeah. one. That comes up on one of the podcasts I listen to. Podcast yeah. one, yeah. It's like, listener, isn't it listener? 
You know how they like big blog podcast companies buy podcasts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder what the podcast is, though. I think it's like... um, What podcast? Oh, the one we listen to. Yeah. Yeah, just a random podcast I've got. Oh, yeah, they don't don't like hundreds of them, I think. Yeah. No, it's good, though. Um, some good podcasts, good quality stuff. So that's what Lindsay probably does every day, just puts it, makes them sound good like that. Maybe she can make ours good and then they can buy it. Correct. Oh, so the producer of this show out, does mate. a pretty good job. Yeah, we don't sell out like that. <laughs> Could you imagine if we did sell out? It's like, all right, we've just got a list of rules. One, no more political rants from Moose. Two, Moose, <laughs> Moose. two Brady needs to learn to pronounce names and about 400 words in the Australian um, dictionary better. They just rip us to shreds. All right. Anyway, Sebastian Pinnell, 14, oh, fast man, 14.32. Well, he also mm. ran 36.33 at Bridge to Brisbane. That could be a typo for me there. Yeah, I, unless unless that's a 12K, I don't think so. Let's just okay. check. Um, 1.23 half marathon, 2.47 Brisbane marathon. He's either had a blinder of a race in that 5K or it's a typo. 17.32. Don't take it off him. Give him uh, a 14.32. <laughs> sorry, Sebby. Brady's just updated. Brady's just updated the document. It's gone from in 14 fact, to 17. His 5K is now his worst time out of everything. Every one of those others is better. Sorry, Seb. Uh, I like your 247 at Brisbane, though. That's good. Mm. Most of these in 2021. He runs for in training. I think they're are they a running store in Brisbane? In training, yeah, running store as well. I think and, and they like training, training group. group. Yeah. yeah, seen that. That's red and white singlet, right? Yeah, Aiden Hobbs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe has two boys. Brisbane Heat cricket fan. Okay, thanks, Sebastian. Thanks, Sebastian. Adrian Weeks, I'm thanking you from Ocean Grove Moose. Yeah, look, I know I I am like 95% sure I used to sell shoes to Adrian when I um, worked in the Geelong store. I reckon he's a big, big built fella. That would make sense because I saw some results back to like 2014 when he um, ran the Melbourne Marathon in three hours and 30 minutes. So Mm. he's been around for a few years. So yeah, that would be a similar time to when you were working back there. I um, hope these are right, Adrian. 1910 for 5K, 3919 for 10K, 128 for the half marathon. So I reckon you could smash that marathon PB. Take some time off that one. Maybe battling a few ankle issues at the moment, but uh, building his training back up and lives in a, that's where I was last weekend, lovely part of the world down there. So it'd be pretty nice running on those trails pretty often. So thanks nah, for your it's support, a Adrian. Place to run. It, Adrian will agree with me. Ocean Grove, shit place to run. It's just got the one track, has so it? The one up and back, and oh, you know, yeah. it gets well, pretty boring and then very crowded. You can run over the Bowen Heads, but for the, for the coastline they got there, it's just not great running. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to running news, boys. Do you want to kick it off? Adelaide Invitational. This was an amazing meet to watch on Saturday night, wasn't it? I really enjoyed yeah, this. Maybe this was you didn't great. Love this. Doing everywhere, but yeah, it was nice to sit back and watch it. Steeple kicked things off first. Ben Buckingham, different league over there, I'm going to say, in the steeple. Mm. First steeple since Tokyo. Did it pretty easy. Moved away in the last two laps, 8.45. Max Stevens second, 8.53. Joe Burgess, third. Your mate Croaks, I think, from, from Sydney. Sydney University. Yeah, Sydney Uni. Is he the triathlete? Nah. He's, by, he's coached by Sean Crichton, isn't he? Yeah, he is at the moment, yep. Yeah, so he was third. Um, but yeah, Bucks, yeah, different category to those guys in that race. Looked very smooth the last two laps there. 
Cara Fee and Ryan. I actually didn't see this one. I had to go pick up dinner at this stage, so you guys might be able to tell me a bit more about it. But Cara Fee and Ryan won, 9.45. Brielle Urbarcher, the second, 9.48. Georgia Winkup, the Olympian, 10.03. Anyone got any comments there about that one? As I said, I missed it. Well, I, I don't think... I don't think Cara expected it to be that close. And, I mean, I don't really know the ins and outs of Queensland steeplechasing, but um, I actually hadn't heard of Brielle Urbaka before. Um, and I was surprised that it was so close towards the end. Um, and it looked like, yeah, she, she gave her a real fright. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. and Cara was, like, on the cusp last year of making that Olympic team. So... I think that's put a bit of fire in her belly for this season. So she's come out and um, obviously got one up on Georgia Winkup, who did go to the Olympics last year. Does this meet have any significance? Like, are there extra points for an invitation? Do you know? Uh, they'll get points because it is a like it that's is huge, a yeah. it is a meet like it is a um, IAAF recognised area meet or something. I can't remember what they call it, but there would be points for this. Yeah, but unless you're hitting the time, not significant. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, it was interesting to see, like, Matt Clark ran the five instead of the steeple, um, mm. and so did Paige Campbell ran mm. the five instead of the steeple. Um, Nipris wasn't there. Is he injured at the moment? Or is I think he's – no, I think he's, um, like, not going to say retired, but he's taken definitely a step back from running. Um, so I don't know. I don't think you'll see him compete this season at all. Yeah, mm. yeah. Like it's, it's the steeple will be interesting because there's a couple of those overseas guys that are really running well. Like we talk mm. about him Ed's later, but you, yeah, you got Trippers, yeah. you got Kai Robinson as well. Um, so you got a couple of guys who who run the steeple who are putting down some real fast times. I also reckon you. I also reckon for world championships, you're getting to the point where most of the events you just have to run the time anyway. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the point system's not really that relevant for a lot of these distance events. Do you want to take us through the 800 croaks? Uh, yep. So in the men's, uh, Peter Boll, um, I wouldn't say it was a training run, but he, like, he didn't, like, go to the front initially. Like, he pretty much just sat in and, and really just looked to do enough to win. Um, so he won the race in 147.14. Uh, Jack Lum was second, 147.43, and youngster Charlie Jefferson was third in 147.6. So not super quick, but I guess a lot of these guys are just sort of opening up their season. But there's a lot of a lot of looking around down the straight from from Bowl. Yeah, you guys didn't like it. Oh no, I'm going to say this. I, it's not that I didn't like it, but when I was watching it, I was like, I didn't enjoy watching it. I guess I can say that, right? I, don't, I didn't enjoy watching it. Like, you just, I, yeah, you, what you thought he should have just put the hammer down and just gone to the like down the straight and gone. I would have loved all to gas, see Peter Bowl, one of our well, the fastest Australian we've ever had, get to the front with a hundred meters to go, show us his stride, and see how show us how fast he could run. That's, I mean, that's what I wanted to see, but I and I didn't see it. I saw him look around ten times, making sure that no one was near him and winning with the least possible exertion, which. I like. I fully understand that's the smartest move for his season at the moment, but it's not great viewing, is it? So you mm. you reckon he had a fair bit left in the tank, Moose? Yeah, I think he had a lot yeah. left. Mm. I, I think... agree with you, Moose. Like, there's an entertainment. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's not. But like, he is a big name now that he's got that entertainment X factor. 
like, and people want to see him at front, his best. Front page of Good Weekend, he was, yeah. at my parents' it was a, house. A brilliant article as well. Um, but it's hard for the general public to understand that if he does that now, he might not be making the final at the Com Games or the World Champs in three or four months' time. Mm. Yeah, like, yeah. So I actually get it. I'm like, it's a long season. He doesn't need to be going full gas in yep. the last 150 to blow this, this field away. Save it to blowing everyone else in the world away in four or five yeah. months' time. And the alternative moves is even if he goes full gas, like the time is probably not going to be super impressive given the time of the year, um, whereas it probably turns into more of a spectacle with everybody still in contention with 100 to go. Even though you still expect yeah. him to run away with it, I like I, I'm not saying he did the wrong thing. Mm. I'm saying that I wanted to I wanted to see him charge home, and I was yeah. disappointed that he didn't. That's that's what I'm saying. As a and viewer, if you're a 12 year old kid in the crowd, you want the same thing as that. Yeah, or if you I want was, to see him put guys to the sword <laughs> in that last hundred, like yeah, put if, them away. If, yeah. if I'm like watching the AFL and the last quarter they start chipping it around the back pocket, I'm turning, I'm changing the channel. Like or they take when, all the guns off and just rest them for next week. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's when I turn the TV off or I change the channel. So you compare and I'm paying my, pay my ticket to get into this game. You're comparing Peter Bowl to a time waster in the fourth quarter. No, well, they're doing the minimum required. They've like the, <laughs> the, the competition's game. over and they've just stopped playing. Yeah. That's pretty much what happened, right? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, uh, mate Dylan Stenson in fifth. Yeah, guest from last week. The, the long and the short of it. Yeah. He was good on there, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, it's quite quite interesting. I found it interesting because we haven't really had a lot of, I guess, pure 800 meter runners that come more from the 400 talk about their training, and you realise just how how different it is. Yeah, but they're running do a lot of stuff, but not a lot of mileage. Yeah, but they're running fast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Women's race. Yeah, this this was quite. Um, I guess exciting to watch from the point of view that um, Bendiri Oboya, um, who ran for Australia in the 400 at the Olympics, was stepping up to her first season of 800s. And she's also been coached by Justin Rinaldi, who coaches Peter Boll. Um, and so she looked like she was absolutely jogging through the first 400. Um, was challenged, though, down the straight. And so she just won in 202.88. Uh, tests. Kersop Cole was second in 202.89 and Georgia Griffith third in 204.16. So there was a bit of a debacle just after the bell with the pacemaker. A few people got sort of caught up there. Um, but I reckon, yeah, she's probably one to look out for as this season progresses. Um, you know, I, I think just with her 400-metre speed, you'd have to think that with a bit more sort of volume in her legs and having Rinaldi as a, like a specialist 800 metre coach, that they, the Aussie record um, could be in danger, um, you know, either this season or the next. Mm, will it take a while though? Like, I don't know much about 800 metre training, and especially when you're coming from the four, but I, I was watching that last 100 waiting for her to go, okay, now you can open it up and use your speed, but yeah. it just looked like she was kind of done, like it was, yep. you just got to survive it. Like, do you think it will take her a couple of seasons to be able to dip into that? 158, 159? Yeah, possibly. I guess it just comes down to how quickly she can develop that strength because it is quite interesting seeing the people that step up from the 400. Like, they look so comfortable through the bell, like like almost like they're jogging. Yeah. And, and you know yeah. that an 800 is close to a sprint. And then you just think, oh, yeah, they're going to open up here, but they just don't. And they just, you know, at best they just hold it. So, um, 
Yeah, like I think I think she'll definitely improve from two oh two. Like it's a first one, so I wouldn't be surprised if she breaks two this season. Like, you know, you look at we we'll look at Bolt. Bolt's come out, although probably could have run a bit quicker. He'll run two seconds, three seconds faster than what he ran, you know, um, on the weekend by the end of the season. And so if she takes two seconds off, she's getting close to that two minutes. Yeah, her four hundred meter PB is fifty one two. Yeah, yeah. Like so, she yeah, must feel pretty easy. Yeah, in her interview, she was she admitted that she had to sort of um, come to terms with the fact she wasn't fast enough for the four hundred, mm. and so mm. the eight hundred is a is a better career move for her. I just got the end of that interview as well. Did she say she's working full time as like in mental health? Did you say the whole thing? Uh, I didn't catch that bit. No, I missed okay. that. Yeah, I just was walking past the TV and just caught it, but then missed it. And then, yeah, I'll Google it. I'm sure there's an article on her talking about what her work situation is. Yeah. Um, the 5K, women's was first. Izzy Bat Doyle, pretty impressive in this one. Uh, she ran 15.13. I think her third fastest time over the 5K. Rose Davies was second at 15.22. Caitlin Adams was third at 15.43. Um, Zoa Toland down in seventh moose, your patron shout out from two yep, weeks ago. Seventeen twelve, big fan of Gang of Youth, so uh thanks Zoe for your support. But Ro uh Izzy was pretty impressive here. Mm, she was I gap. mean haven't seen you, a gap like that between Rose and Izzy for a while. Fire in her eyes though. You could sort of see you she was running angry. We we had that interview with her immediately after her race and she you could see she was disappointed. I think she ranked ranked her Zatapec as a five out of ten in terms of how satisfied she was. And I reckon as she would have left the track that night and she would have looked at the calendar and gone, Adelaide, that's where I'm coming back hard. And she didn't leave it to chance this time. So 1K to go, all of a sudden, like that two-meter gap, three-meter gap, and she really turned the screws on on Rose and, and, and just did exactly what she, she had to. Like it was tactically perfect, basically. Well, even Rose went to the front maybe with like four or five to go. And I don't know if it was a bit of a tactic to slow it so she could then kick home. But then Izzy just sat there for like 200 metres and you could tell it's like, no, 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 I'm not falling for this trick. I'm going to go to the front and start grinding. Yeah. Yeah, she learned yeah. a lesson almost. And she comes home fast, doesn't she? Like we talk about Rose having the speed, but Izzy's got speed. Like she was mowing that 15-10 qualifier down. I think she ran, was it 66 or something last lap? There's different dif- different de- definitions of a kick, isn't there? You've got mm-hmm. Rose Kick, who will go with 200 meters and yeah, and can change pace quickly, like how um, Jordan Williams can change pace, like mm-hmm. snap, bang, gone. And then you've got kicks that start from further out, and they can like you can you can kick for three minutes, and that long grindy kick where you're not going to you can't change gears as quickly but you have the extra gear on top of everybody else. And that extra gear might only last like two to five minutes, but it's something that you can use like a mile out, a K out, 800 out. But with 400 out, it's too late because you're going to lose to the, the pure kicker. What kick are you going to use at stall, you reckon, Brad? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you got to um... kick off the mark. you got to... <laughs> You got to take bodies early. I'm going to make got to keep my hamstring in one piece for as long as I can, so I won't be getting out real quick. Uh, a men's race was fascinating as well. So many stories in this race. Um, Pace to perfection by A Goddard. Is it Adam Goddard? I'm not sure of his first name here. It just says A in the results. 
a massive train set up. He took them through 3K. And then maybe like, I'm going to say six guys at the bell. Um, Liam Adams did a bit of work in the middle. And then, yeah, six guys at the bell. Sam McEntee was his first home. Really impressive last lap. I think I got it at like 57.8 when I went back and um, timed it. He ran at 13.36. Jack Bruce was second in 13.37. Friend of the show, Joel Tobin White, was third in 13.38. I thought Isaac Hayne, he was in fourth. I had him picked as the biggest kicker in that group. Um, Michael Roger was down in 13th, but ran 13.52. Uh, absolutely smashed. I'm assuming it was his own world record, but the first time under 14 for Rogues to run 13.52, a huge run there. A whole lot of guys in between that had never gone under 14 before. To um, Yeah, there was 14 guys in total, breaking 14 minutes. And Jacob Cox, 14.04, that's a good PB for him as the 15th spot. Off a pretty solid as that, a pack from Jacob as well. So he's going all right. What else stood out to you here, fellas? Uh, well, I guess the, the couple of things that stand out for me was McEntee. Like, we spoke to him during the um, Zatapec uh, stream, and like, these guys had – like, he went to the Olympics in 2016, and, like, he's had a few rough years since then. But Saturday night showed that, like, that saying where, you know, form is temporary, but, you know, class is forever sort of thing. And it's like, if this guy is in some sort of shape – and in one piece, he's a class act. Like the way that he was just able to close and just open up another gear, um, that was like a standout. So it's good to see him back. The other thing was just the depth of this race. And we spoke um, about it off air that like, Brady, you said that there was, you know, six at the bell, but because there were good packs the whole way through, even though there was then a gap to the next lot of people, we had, what, 14 people break... Um, 14 minutes which is just unheard of like in australia like for so many years it's always been like one or two guys at the front then a massive gap then one or two and it's it's very hard to actually get the best out of yourself like this is the sort of stuff that you see at um like stanford where it's just so deep and you've you've always got somebody to focus on to push you through that sort of third and fourth k when it starts to get really tough so they were um they were the sort of things that i noticed from that race hope they continue to like just have this at this meet like just lock this 5k in there for like five years so you know if you want a fast time it's a place to go yeah kind of like briggs um used to be yeah, yeah. 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 and that yeah. was especially this yeah. part of like feb like off the mountain they all got falls creek come home get ready to go in middle of feb a lot of qualifiers for nationals out of this mm. like oh uh, yeah well it's actually it's also a good it's a good meet because it wasn't like yeah 1336 is a good run but it's not 13-12, you know, Dave McNeil or Stewie running 13-5 at Box Hill or whatever. Like, it's it was a perfect race for all these guys because they all had a chance to win and it just brought out the best in all of them. Yeah, and I think that's the – and that's sort of what I was getting back to before. Like, the difference between being in the right race and, and by the right race, I mean, like, you need perfect weather conditions but then you need the pacing to be right and then you need, obviously, packs to run with. Like, some of these guys probably ran 10 or 15 seconds quicker – than what they would have in, say, New South Wales, like, state champs. Even though they're in the same shape, but the race is just not set up. And for so long in Australia, like, I just feel like we've... It's been very hard to get the most out of yourself in a 5K because of the the conditions and, and the way that the race pans out. Mm. So I agree. Uh, Rogues was pretty good there too, 13.52. Yeah, off the, good. off the back of a rough last year. 
And that guy, back. how does he just stay fit all the time? <laughs> Gets yeah. quick fit too. Remember we had him on like it was only like seven weeks ago, six weeks ago. And he, he's just um, getting back into jogging. Does a lot of does a lot of cross training though. Um, like does a lot of swimming. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, like he's swimming a, doesn't he has, get you to thirteen fifty two. No, but he, like the level yep. of cross the level of cross training, like that's why he remains always fit. <laughs> yeah, but he's he hasn't broken fourteen and he's gone eight seconds under. Yeah, we ran like, 14, 14 flat, 14 yeah, points. He's gone eight, uh, seconds, eight seconds under his PB after yes. swimming. Yeah, how's, the, how's the swag on him, though? The long hair, yeah. few tattoos. A rock star type. But once, yeah, but once again, this is, this is probably the perfect example where like he ran 14 minutes in a race where the conditions were completely different to here. So he was probably capable of 13.52. And then he gets in this environment where the weather's good, He's got a massive train, and he probably even exceeded his own expectations a little bit because of the setup. And it just goes to show, I think, how much you can actually, uh, I guess, push yourself in the right environment. I'm going to hammer through these next results, fellas. Vic Miles' uh, championship, the Mile Championship at Vic Miles Club. Uh, M Hussey, I think that's Michael Hussey. Matt Hussey. Matt Michael Hussey, Mike. yep. Back to back, uh, Western Athletes guy four oh five for him there. Melissa Duncan won the women's in four forty five. Uh, I don't know the first name of Jay Atherton from South Australia. He won the eight one fifty one. Katrina Bissett ran two point two flat point two zero. Good race actually. Yeah, well she like, was going to tape. Not a like good race, pacer. but impressive to watch the performance really. Yeah, and Lyndon was second in two oh four. So um. Yeah, I was kind of building it as it could be a big head-to-head, both of them under two, but Katapis, it was, she only went with the pacer. The mm. um, Lyndon didn't. And then the New South Wales 5K champs are on. Not sure why they put these on the same night as the um, big 5K over in Adelaide. Um, someone's got their dates wrong there. Josh Johnson, your mate Brad from Canberra, he won in 14.18. And Ainsley Van Garan won the women's in 15.42. Anything to add there, fellas, before we go quickly to the US of A? Um, so, so it was probably just a timetabling thing. Like I think New South Wales Athletics put out their timetable once everyone came out of lockdown, sort of October. Um, and I'm not sure when Athletics Australia put out their, their timetable for, for Adelaide. So it was probably something along those lines. I think it was late because I know that 5K frenzy date was in early. And then, mm. yeah, they didn't know that Adelaide was going to have a 5K. Yeah. USA, this is a big result. Kai Robinson, he ran, he's 20 years old. He ran 13.21 to win an indoor meet over there. So I've just spent five minutes talking about this men's race mm. at Adelaide. One in 13.36. Kai's, his, his home straight in front of him, boys. Yeah. Um, an amazing run, a massive PB. And Lauren Ryan was also in a 3K over there. She ran 8.47 for 3K indoors. And to put that into perspective, they are Lyndon, not Lyndon, Jess Hull, uh, 3K we talked about a couple of weeks ago, was 8.39. So not far off there, eight seconds. Mm. And I think oh, Adam Spencer might have... Yeah, that was a big run for her. I think Adam Spencer also ran indoor mile, maybe a 3.57. So yep. some Aussies doing some huge things over there at college. Yeah. I think yeah. Kai and uh, Kai and Lauren were both on my uh, watch list for this year. If you oh, go back and listen yeah. to that show, yeah. so I turned it off after you didn't give Sinead one I of those awards. I don't think so. I did. Anyway. Yeah. Remember the morning of Zatapec, I said Lauren Ryan would probably win this race if she was here in Australia. 
No, I don't remember. Can you that. remember that? No, but I've got but I've got proof from a from a podcast episode. I'll screenshot a message. I'm still waiting for your message from Joy Edwards to come through, mate. This is sounding like a made up <laughs> story. Anyway, Check listen questions. Uh, yeah, so listener question comes from Jack Werrett. Uh, why do you think no Australian male is yet to break Deke's Australian marathon record, even with the improvements in technology, nutrition, science, shoes? We have seen Australian records being broken regularly in nearly all other events. That's a good question from Jack. It's a good question because how many countries has the Australian has their record stood for as long as the Australian record has? Do you reckon? You know what I mean? Yeah, not many. Like especially, not many. Yeah. Let's look at the big ones that we know of, right? Let's look at America. Japan. Gone. Gone all the time. Yeah. New Zealand. It's been around for a while now, isn't it? Oh, who's got New what, Zealand? Rob- Your mate, Dixon. No, Robinson's broken, haven't they? Oh, did yeah, they? Didn't. Oh, yeah. gee, okay. Yeah. So, okay, broken. <clears throat> uh, England? Mo Farah broke it, didn't he? Mo Farah? Yeah, America? Just throwing, is this stuff legit? No, I'm serious. I'm, no, I'm, I, I don't know. Did Mo Farah break it? I'm just throwing things out there. Yeah, he must have. He ran 2-4, didn't he? Two. Yeah, Steve Jones, didn't he? Didn't he break his record? Then you got America? Jalen American Rupp. record? Oh, no, that's not broken. Rupp hasn't broken that. Who's got it? Um, yeah. Oh, his name off the top of my head. Um, 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 you I'll, know. I'll find um, it, but Mo, Mo Farah has the no, UK Dathan, one. Dathan doesn't have Ryan the American Hall one. No, not Ryan Hall either. It's um, oh, Khalid Kanachi. Is oh, yeah. it Kanachi? When he broke the world record at, um, he broke the world record uh, in, at London one year against... Yeah. Um, when when a couple of big dogs are in the field, and Gebra Ryan Hall ran it at Boston in, the, in that tailwind year, and they didn't count it. Yeah, didn't count it. Yeah, Canucci. Yep, Canucci. It was London, right? Uh, yep, yeah, two thousand and two, uh, two hundred five thirty eight. But what year was Deke? What are we comparing this to? Uh, Deke's world record, Australian record. Yeah, so was it early eighties? Was it eighty three? That was when. That was Boston. No, he, that was the world champs he won. Was it 83? Ah, I'm just guessing. Anyway. No, no, 86. 86, we're comparing these things to. Yeah. So, yeah, that two one. It's been around a while. I guess we've got to address the question then. Mm. That's a, and, and it's a very good question because when you've got guys like Brett Robinson who run sub 60 minutes, then you can sort of go, okay, well, we have the potential in talent to do it, don't we? Yeah. If, Jack, 61, hasn't he? Yeah, yep, and um, they've both had cracks at the marathon, multiple cracks. I don't know the answer. Like, yeah, I, the, I honestly... Yeah, yeah. I, the I, argument I, was always that we, that all our good guys always spent too long on the track. That so was our Coles argument. went to right. the marathon, it was too late. When Mottram went to the marathon, it was too late. Benny Saint, like, all our good guys on the track, when they moved up, it was too late for them to focus on the marathon. But yep. now we've got guys doing them younger. Yeah, well, you, you've only got Jack and Brett. Uh, well, Liam. I'll call well, Liam. Liam yeah, but where's Liam's potential? He he ain't like so Mono at his 20, ceiling. Yeah, he's not like a 27, what was Mono, 27, 40-something guy. Um, you you need the, well, what? Well, Deke wasn't much, Deke wasn't much under 28 minutes for 10. Yeah. It, look, I don't know. I think if you, like you said, Brady, that's the excuse we've been using mm. for a long time. Um, I think the guy's... Uh, they're still running decent volume. I mean, they're, 
you can't encourage them to run more volume when they're sort of susceptible to injury, right? Like you're getting someone like Jack who's, who gets, who's been getting injured lately and um, you can't go, oh, you need to run 220K a week because that's what the, the, the other guys did, Deacon, Deacon Monner. And then you've got Troopy, Sean Crichton, um, Pat Carroll, and uh, Derek Clayton. Um, they were like pretty much all of those guys were high mileage guys, weren't they? Mm-hmm. I think what it's what it's certainly done is it's it's shown how bloody good Deke was, mm. how much of just an animal he was, how strong he was because you know he wasn't super quick like compared to the guys that you've just mentioned what they've run over five k, ten k, even half marathon. But I think, and we've spoken about this a few times that you almost have to realise that the marathon is a completely different beast to a half or a ten, um, and you know you. You look at our top marathoners, Deke and Mona, they were they were just bloody strong runners, and it just comes down to a it just comes down to a strength thing. I think the marathon, and well, yeah. you know, those guys those guys have enough speed to do it. It's the strength that lets them down, and how they do that is it more miles? Is it different types of sessions? I don't I don't know, but if anything, it's just made Deke look even better over the last few years. If you consider that at the time that he ran it, and at the time that Mona ran his, Benita Willis ran her Australian record. They were also at the top of the world in distance running. So you've got Benita winning a medal or gold medal at World Cross. Um, so like top of the world, you got Mona was top ten at um, World Cross. Deke was a gold medalist in the world champs. He won the world champs marathon. Um, you got Mona was fourth place at uh, the world champs as well one year. Um, so they weren't, they were actually the best. Um, they were in the, the top echelon of running in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how good they were. And as the times have come down, our, our country hasn't quite stayed right at the very top as it as for, for distance running. I guess that's the only, like, He's saying because he's a, they're not as competitive, we're not getting the most out of them. Is that what you're saying? I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure what I'm saying. I'm just bringing points up. Well, here's another question for you. Um, like, how long until Deke's record does get broken? Because I personally think that it actually won't be. It won't be that long. Do you think though? When we're because the conversations around Brett and Jack, do you think one of those will do it? Well, it could even be someone like Pat. Like like, it could be a Pat yeah. Do you think it's the next crop, though? Yeah, I, I think it potentially could be the next crop. But also, think if Brett or Jack get it right on the day, then they can do it as well. And as we know, like there's there are some variables to the marathon, and I have no doubt that like Brett and Jack, if they you know have the perfect day, can can run the time. Um, but I, I just like I don't think it's going to last another ten years. No, I don't either. I think it's going to. I think it's going to be like the whole sub four thing. Is that once someone goes under, all of a sudden floodgates will have opened. Yeah, and I even think once someone breaks two ten, I reckon it'll come down quick after that. Yeah, Yeah. it's It's, interesting though. You're talking about the perfect day to get close to it, but Deke Deke had some amazing before a lot around there. He won um, Fukuoka in nineteen eighty one in two oh eight. Which I think just like, and same with same with two oh eight and Rotterdam like yeah. they were really consistent like two oh nine Chicago yeah. two oh eight Chicago which comes yeah. back down which comes back Boston. to which I think that comes back Tokyo. to their 
they're strength. Like they're, they're consistent because they're so right. strong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He went under two ten, like yeah, five or six times, mm. probably more. It's off my head. Good yeah. question, though. It's a good question. I don't think we got a good answer from it. <laughs> we do not know, Jack. I think we if we had a good know. answer, then they would be doing it. We would be seeing the changes being made. Yeah. So well, you think it's more like if we them up and be like, give us your train diaries, we're going to copy it. We've got the talent. I don't I, know what. Do you think it's a trainer thing? I'm going to go. I'm going to go out on a limb, and this may be incorrect, but I'm going to say our top guys don't run over enough hills because. Look at Deke. Look at Mona. Every Sunday, they would like Creepy. they would yep they were doing hilly hilly runs. And I even remember when um, Brett and Jack and that were in Canberra, and we took them out to Mulligans for a long run. Although Mulligans is not super hilly, Brett even admitted he's like, oh, I'm, I'm not really like because I don't really go to Fernie that much anymore. Like, oh, I'm not used to sort of running on hills like this. So. That may not be the answer, but that is the one thing that I know that those guys did a hell of a lot of compared to the current crop. Yeah, I think if you, I think if you ask the older guys, that would be a big, that would be something that they would um, attribute yeah. their strength, strength to. Yeah, yeah. So that would be what, my answer. What about this theory? They need to be not the big dogs in their group. Like these guys are already the kings of their like Melbourne track club group down there as the marathoners and half marathoners. What about if they flew in a couple like 206, 207 guys just to train with them for a couple of years? And then, you know, you get better when you're around better. But Deacon, yeah, Deacon Wanda were the top dogs of their groups, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, but they were, yeah true. <laughs> but I'm saying you put their 208 guys. I'm saying yeah. put some 208 guys around them and be like, all right, I can, I can get pushed to another level in training here. Yeah. I guess Stewie can push them over the tracks and faster stuff. But yeah, who's who's pushing them in those longer workouts? But I don't think that's the answer because Deacon Mona didn't need that. No, but they were already the top dogs. They yeah. were already at that level. These guys need to get to that next level. Yeah. You know who's doing it at the moment? Watch this name too, Jake Smith. He's got they're, they're, he's training with um Kip Lima on that over in Uganda. Chapter mm, yeah, guy. He, watch he watch what he does in the next six or eight months. He won't be trying to break two ten. He'll go like, hey, I'm going to go two six two seven. Yeah. So. Anyway, that, that was like 15 minutes, and I should have just said hills from the start. <laughs> New segment this week, fellas. Follow on from last week, train and talk. Thanks to people that wrote in last week. Uh, my topic this week, boys, and I want us to talk about for training talk, not so much a workout, but a question that I think both you boys would have got many times over the years is a question about um, what pace should you do your easy runs at? You had this plenty of times over the years? Uh, yeah, but probably more about why do you run so fast on your easy runs more than the yeah, question. Well, that's, of... that's why the question comes up because a lot of people who have similar abilities will run at different paces on their easy days. Um, and I don't think there's one you know clean-cut answer for this, but I think it's worth having a discussion on. And often people, like I'll follow people on Strava and I'm like, oh, these people do the same same pace as me on easy days and I can run you know five minutes quicker than I'm over 5K. Like I wonder why they've decided to run that 4.30 pace on their easy days. Mm. So I thought it would make a good discussion. Um, any points to kick us off, boys? I've got a few written here, but I'll throw it over to you guys first. What do you oh. say to people, Moose? What pace do you go easy days at? Well, I have two different easy days. So I've got one, which is really easy. Full purpose of the run is recovery. Don't want you trying looking to get fitter from this run. It's just go out there and recover. And, and I think if you have that mindset, then... And- 
Sorry. Sorry. When in the week would you put this? Like post long run. This post is sun, This is Monday morning. Yeah. This is cool down pace. It's um, Wednesday morning after Tuesday night workout, and it's also most doubles as well. So this is the this is the um, the conservative way to introduce more running is at this pace. Low heart rate, flat dirt roads or dirt paths don't want you out there in the heat either. Like I want to take away any stressful variable and make the run as easy as possible. Would you look at your pace at all on these ones? Um, the pace, yeah, it, I actually would. I'd put a maximum on it for, for some person, for, for some people. So if I if I told them to go out for a run, I'd say you are not allowed to go faster than this pace. Otherwise, you're creeping into the non-recovery territory. But how do you find that pace, Moose? Well, it's relative to the person. So, like, I, I work off their PBs. If they're if we do a bit of heart rate stuff with them, then I'll give them a heart rate they're not to go over. Um, but this has got to be one to two out of ten effort level. At any given time, you could have a pure conversation without um, without ta- like stopping for any type of breath. It's it's really easy. Like think about shuffling, mm. almost. And active recovery. You're moving your legs to go for a run, but it shouldn't exhaust you at all. Don't change your gait to make it too slow where like if it's too slow and you change your gait you open yourself to injury because the loading changes so make the gait natural but just at the very slowest you can manage yeah that's recovery pace that sorry. was your first one and then so then say you've done say you've done workout tuesday night that's what you do on wednesday yep. then what are you doing thursday for your jogging pace well there's a bit more of a license so you can add in a stressor so you can add in hills or potentially heat if it's summer. Um, you can, or you can add in some more pace for uh, your easy day. So, or you can add another five to ten beats on your heart rate as well. Um, so for most people, I might have them run. Or like as an example, I'm going to say ninety seconds. Gee, no, it's more like 60 to 90 seconds slower than 5K pace. Um, I'd say that'd be about right. 60 to 90 slower than 5K pace. Uh, yeah. So the, the calculator isn't, like, I know on Tim Mans, I've just got that open now. Like, I just put in what shape I think I'm in for 5K. I put 14.45, and that says very easy for me is 4.45 pace. Easy is 4.24. Yeah, that's about right. I and like that's that. That's about right. I think yeah. that's, yeah. And that's, you know, so if you're someone out there listening and you, you can get down to a park run or something, like if you can get a decent bit of data, and I'm going that 14.45 off the 5K I ran two weeks ago, um, that's that's pretty close. Like and it gives me it gives me a range, 4.24 to 4.15 for my easy, and that's kind of where I think I would land at the moment. Yeah. There's, there's a, like, you can look at some people that can get away with running faster, a lot of the time they might be professional athletes. Like if you look at, um, I remember Galen Rupp used to run really fast on his easy days. Like mm. that was a thing. Joe, Kleck, Joe Klecker. Yeah. They, does he do it too, does he? And if you follow. He runs pretty quick, yeah. If you, if you follow, like if you get in shape where you're, you might get to a point where your heart rate is low enough to handle um, quite fast running. So I remember I could, like at my fittest, maybe I could run 350s at my normal easy run heart rate. But what, what that doesn't account for is the extra stress through your soft tissue. 
and and your bones. So running at 350 versus 430 is a significant change in loading. And if you're going out running easy pace off your heart rate, because yes, like neurologically you might be okay, cardiovascularly it's safe. It's not taking into account that stress on tendons and bones, um, and you'll find that uh, you're probably getting a little bit sore, and you're more. It's a little bit riskier for you um, to run at that pace, and so you can, like, one. Let's just say five to ten beats lower than what you consider your right heart rate might. It's still in that aerobic zone. You're still um, working the same system, but with just a lot less risk. Mm. Anything else to add there, Bradley? Um, oh, just on that calculator briefly, you got to also remember that when you put in Brady that you're in 1445 shape, like that's on it, like that's on a track. And mm. so you look at these calculators and people go, oh, well, I ran 14, I ran 1445 on the track, and then they go out. Uh, and like most people don't live in a Chuka Moama where it's dead flat. You're generally going to run over some hills, which is way harder than it is on the track. So that pace then needs to be adjusted for that as well. So you can't just go, oh yeah, I'll look at the calculator. Um, like for me, that, it was that's a- why. Sorry, that's yeah. why when they put the range in there, probably hugging the slower side of things though. Yeah, if if yeah. if you know that it's going to be over some hills and it's going to be hotter oh, than yeah. hotter than when you ran your fourteen forty five on the track. Um, but for me, it used to always be like, as long as the quality of my sessions wasn't falling away. Mm. But like, I'm at the point now, like probably in the last couple of weeks, like just at this crossroads where it's like, like I need, like I'm too old now. To, like I think I could get away with running a bit quicker when one, I was younger and two, when I was in like super, super shape. But now, now that I'm just old, I, I really just need to write off non-session days as just building some sort of aerobic base but yeah making it a lot easier than what it has been probably in the past yeah and the old, old conversation rule i'm not sure if anyone said that yet like you should be able to get words out at this pace. yes I, I, don't, at I don't i don't totally agree with that because Ooh. i know that i could like even last wednesday with jai like we, we were chatting the whole hour and like i i know that was still too fast for me even though i could still talk were you struggling though? Um, oh, Don't like skip a skip a breath here and there to catch up. No, no, not really. But I still think that you can talk at a pretty high heart rate, and it's not necessarily recovering. Mm. But it's a good place to it's a good place to start. Like if you're if you're gasping for air and you can't talk, then you're going too fast for an easy run. Yeah. What about you, Moose? Do you reckon that you can still talk but be going too hard? Yes. Mm. Often. Sundays are very social and we talk the whole way and look it stops eventually and you I think you just don't feel as inclined to talk when you start struggling but for me it's more the change from like high aerobic zone to threshold is when I stop talking and it's not like from um, easy pace to gray zone pace that's yeah. that's probably like that's where the conversation stuff, uh, the conversation um, recommendation is is a bit wrong. Yeah. Good chat, fellas. I enjoyed that. Moose on the loose. Purchase of the week. Rules of Strava. Uh, a lot of dogs hanging around here at the moment, so I'm going to really stir the pot on this and go top three list of worst dogs out there to encounter when you're running. And this is going to like people love their dogs so much. <laughs> Uh, this is going to piss some people off. So the first, the worst dog out there 
I actually is going to say worst dog full stop, but the list is worst dog to encounter when you're running is the dashing. So the bloody sausage dogs, you know, mm. tiny little things, super antisocial, don't like people, don't like other dogs, especially don't like runners coming past. They're at Achilles height, so like nippy height, and they're always barking, yappy, 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 yappy. Worst dogs ever. Um, second worst dog, Border Collies. These things have to get around your legs. They have to chase you, mm. bark at you, like trying to Can round you up. There. Yeah, jump. And Border Collies seem to have – there's only one personality associated with Border Collies, and it's just obsessed and addicted to balls and hurting stuff. Not sure why people have Border Collies, but that's the second worst dog. Third worst dog, I actually like these dogs, the Labrador. Big fan of Labradors, like loyal, happy things. Never try to bite you when you run past. But they have no awareness of space. And and they're very friendly, but perhaps when you're running at like 15K an hour along a narrow path, they're a bit too friendly. And so they're one of the worst dogs to encounter when you're running because they're jumping on you. They don't know where their legs are. They get right under you. They're a dangerous breed to get it tangled up in so come at me haters they're the worst three yeah come at him directly to his dms <laughs> not the inside run podcast ones so if you want to have a crack at moose about anything his own instagram account is the place to go yeah that's not that's not going to get much biting coming back in, instagram uh the inside running has got a um set reply now so each <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to set up a set reply on it um go fuck yourself <laughs> Is the set reply to the haters. I'm not sure how you can just set it to the haters, but yeah. Yeah, I know. That's going to be the problem, isn't it? There's going to be some people that actually yeah. have good Hey, lo- hey guys, I love the show. You <laughs> <laughs> get this reply. Thanks for the new train talk segment. <laughs> I've been fanging my long runs for the last three all months. Right, yeah. All right. There have been some haters coming out the woodwork lately. So um, I like it. I like it because you get the messages, Brady, and I don't. There's actually not many. When you do the numbers on the percentage of haters versus the uh, overall download numbers, yeah. it would be a very, very tiny percent. But I think the way our brains are wired is we focus on that and we just, yeah, does our heads in. Oh, well, it doesn't. I enjoy it. I think it's fun. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Good moves on the loose. I like that. Uh, Croak's list, uh, no, interview. Interview. This has been a long show, fellas. Oh, mm. Tell me uh, about it. <laughs> yeah, so I sat down last week with Sam Burke. So Sam uh, was a pretty competitive runner back in the day. He's run like 152 for 800 and uh, 350 for 1500. So we used to race against each other a fair bit. Um, he's the co-founder of Runners Tribe, um, which, you know, for those that live in Australia, it's like been the go-to place for distance running news in Australia since like 2007, 2008, like before sort of all the social media stuff started. Um, so we spoke about his running, Runners Tribe, and he's also started up a new company called Tarkine, which um, deals with running shoes and uh, running apparel. And um, yeah, I found it quite fascinating because as runners, we just sort of just take it for granted. Like, you know, you go and buy a pair of shoes, but actually what's involved when it comes to designing a shoe is um, is is quite unreal. So um, yeah, it was. I enjoyed sitting down and having a chat, finding out yeah how the shoe industry works, and um, and also about sort of runners tribe. So hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, I like the runners tribe chat as well. 
Mm, it's interesting, you think. Yeah, I've only listened to the first half of it, but it's good. It's been good for the sport. Oh, amazing mm. for the sport. Yeah, yeah. What an influence. And over the year, and like, they just kind of like, uh, what's the word for it? Like, just get content out there. Like, yeah. it's no bells and whistles and like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, they're just like, get content out there, celebrate Australian distance running, like, yeah. do stuff. And not, and not afraid to take it. Like, they've done a lot of different things, Runners Tribe, from like those magazines, book like releasing books. Like, so, like, they're the type of people that won't say no to things. They're happy to take things on board and, and give it a crack. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of it. All right, what's coming up, fellas? I've got Seville Marathon to tune into this uh, Sunday. Oh, yeah, see, Christian's going to take down your PV. Christian, well, considering how easy it will be to run a good marathon over there, he'll probably come 800th, just got to sit in a nice pack and get sucked along the whole way. So I'm expecting 217. What's your PB, Crocs? 217 what? 28? Oh, it's kind of lowy, isn't it? Yeah, he might be 217. There's no fucking chance he's running 217. I don't know. He's pretty strong. He's really building up. He's been on the Ingebrigtsen training for a long time. And then he's flying to um, then he's flying to Anglesey, isn't he? Like the next day when the Australian borders reopen, straight in. Mm, you should see the rent in Anglesey right now. <laughs> Rents going up. House going prices up. would be expensive too down there, wouldn't they? Oh yeah, got to get in a, your rich doctor friend's house, Brett Coleman. Hmm. Good yeah. job, Brett. Enjoying it here. <laughs> um, that's all I'll be doing on the weekend, fellas. Tune into that. What are you guys doing? Uh, not a great deal. Hopefully having a, well, didn't train today, but hopefully a full week of training and, um, yeah, that's about it. 10 by 228 for you, I reckon. Get some speed in those legs. <laughs> that's all I need. <laughs> Moose, what do you got coming up? Uh, this week Two is, yeah, we've got to get, we, 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 I guess we couldn't line him up. He's on a bad time frame. You got three, you got three fellas with, with businesses running, all running an American businesses. American guy. Yeah, he is. Time zones make it hard, doesn't it? It, it was like we could do 1 p.m. on one day a week. We all work. And then um, it just wasn't happening. So we're going to um, – I got the boys some shoes. So we're going to talk about some shoes. Um, and I think we're looking at a guest for the following month. Um, but, yeah, just forget January. It didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> all right, fellas. Good work. We'll throw to the uh, Sam Burke interview now. Talk to you uh, next week. See you, boys. See ya. Yeah. Runners Tribe has been the premier website for Australian-related running content since 2007. This week's guest is the co-founder of that website and was also a handy runner back in the day with PBs of 152 for 800 and 350 for 1500 metres. Welcome to the Inside Running Podcast, Sam Burke. Uh, thanks for having me, Croaks. Long time fan of, of you guys, so it's an honour to be on here. No worries, it's good to catch up and um, you're quite the entrepreneur, like you know, obviously Runners Tribe and then you've also owned a, a vet hospital on the northern beaches of Sydney and you've recently launched a running shoe and apparel company called Tarkine, which we'll talk about that company a little bit later uh, on the episode, um, but let's maybe start with your running journey, like how did you get into the sport? Um, oh, I guess like most, like just been, I got into running at a really early age, uh, my dad was a runner and I used to you know, get up at, you know, 5 a.m. and do 4K loops with him when I was a little kid. And 
uh, did a delays and went through that system and uh, and really just got hooked on it from there. I loved it. I liked the delays kind of way of doing it and I loved the racing and yeah and I just ran ran as a junior and went through the junior ranks and all that sort of stuff and uh, all the track. I was a 800, 1500 runner mainly as a junior and yeah that was that. It's like it's a lifelong passion for me and a bit older these days trying to keep my body together but yeah it's just uh, just got in from a young age and been hooked ever since, mate. Yeah and um what would you say was your like running highlights? So from all the years, like was it like one of your PBs or a particular race that stands out for you? Um, I mean, I, in year eleven, I kind of I won the double at state champs in fifteen hundred and eight, and um, and I just come off a stressy and yeah, I was just yeah, just come off a lot of issues and injuries and. Um, asthma problems. I've had had bad breathing and asthma issues most of my life, uh, especially as a kid. Kind of grew out of it as an adult, and yeah, and I kind of just just that one little patch. I've uh, my whole life I've just gone from injury to injury really, and this is I had this little eight month patch where I didn't get injured, and and I you know ran two races um, that you know I was super happy with, and and got the double, and you know, and I, I just wished it. The rest of my life could have followed that path and have, of, of, in, of no injuries, you know. But um, I think that that when I look back over it, uh, you know, definitely, definitely that that was one of the highlights, man. Yeah, and and trying to like you're obviously you know you were very passionate about the sport. Like we raced against each other a fair bit, and so you you wanted to be quite serious with it. But then you also had to balance that with you know studying to become a vet. Um, was that challenging? Oh yeah, super hard. I mean, like, looking back on it, you've got. I know it sounds a bit black and white, like a bit ruthless maybe, but uh, it's pretty damn hard. Like to, you know, vet, a vet degree is not a, a kind of, uh, I don't know, a half-hearted degree, right? Like, you, you know, you're, you're usually at uni by eight and, and there till, you know, nearly dark. And then the study you have to do, uh, you know, to be studying until midnight, um, not all, not every night, but shit for like at least, you know, a couple of months leading into exams you would be. And so, trying to fit sessions in and being consistent around that's pretty hard and uh it was yeah I did not I did not find it easy uh so uh yeah it was hard and I think that's one of my one of my flaws is that I always had like a million things that I wanted to do uh and I just kind of uh, it's still my one of my flaws I just I like to do too many things I guess and I, maybe I, I bite off more than I can chew sometimes it wasn't great for the running but but hey, like I, I had fun, you know. I met a lot of good mates doing running, and um, and and got to got to learn all about that world. And uh, yeah, I don't regret it. Yeah. Oh, in terms of regret. So one of my questions was like, was there anything that you would change in terms of, um, like you would have done differently to maybe string together more consistent years of running? And you know, I have no doubt that you know the times that you ran, like uh, one fifty two and three fifty, were off pretty limited, like base training. So anything you would have changed to maybe string together a bit more training? Yeah, definitely. Like back in, you know, at that time in year 11 when I was, you know, a kid still, teenager, like I was doing um, water running on a Monday and Friday was just having off. And and then I felt like I got to a scene, I got to 18 years of age and, and all the coaches just that wasn't an option. It was just, and, you know, Monday was like a, an easy hour and then sometimes some hill strides and Friday was an easy hour and it was just like, that's not for everyone, and I 100% don't think it was for me. Like, I should have been having Fridays off and Mondays off or Mondays in the pool or going for a cycle and just trying to run five days a week. Uh, and that's what I would just 100% do differently. 
Uh, and I wish I had a, I wish I had some great coaches. I'm, you know, and, and I'm still really good mates with them. So, but I think uh, what, I, I wish I had a coach that just held me back and just said, hey, you don't need to. You know, it's all about getting two or three years of training in in a row and stacking those months on top of each other, and then years on top of each other. It's not about putting three weeks of super hard training in. Uh, and the Monday and Fridays were useless anyway. I should have just done a done some cross training. That's the one thing I would have changed, mate. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, and so you're 30 now, 39 now, a couple of kids living over in WA. How's um how's the running look for you now? Uh, it's, look, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm back. Um, I'm running, you know, five days a week. Is you know, I'm setting my own programs, and I'm uh, Mondays and Fridays. I either just I go do gym or I go for a, a cycle or a swim. And um, last year I had all of last year off with osteitis pubis and shit like i don't know like i've had i don't know how many stresses i've had over the years but you would take five stresses over osteitis pubis it has got to be the most crippling crippling injury i've ever had uh i spent seven months like just unable to walk uh without pain or cough or sneeze uh without pain and um i ended up finding this guy in melbourne who specializes called the op clinic he specializes just in osteitis pubis and and, you know, I spent I don't know, a lot of time with him over Skype uh, and then he set me a program and just retraining my body how to move really and just strengthening the right parts and, you know, t- learning how to turn off my pelvic floor and doing all these things I didn't really know existed. So, um, yeah, but I'm back running uh, and, you know, I'm loving it. So I'm hoping that I'm motivated by Philo Saunders. He's like my hero, you know. He ran a 345 when he was like, 42 uh, I think it was 42 but that's just amazing not saying I can do that but I would love to just get back out there and um and and get amongst it you know yeah very good um all right well let's uh let's move on to runners tribe because anybody that I guess is passionate about running especially in Australia would have heard of runners tribe and it really started before like social media was really big uh so do you want to maybe start with how the idea for, for runners tribe came about uh, yeah, I was. It was 2007, late 2007, and I'd finished uni, uh, and there wasn't any any. De- you know, I mean, there was Athletics Australia. Um, that was the only website, but they didn't really produce much content back then. No blogs or written interviews or anything like that, really. And so, um, and no one was doing it. And but people were talking about the need for it. Uh, and I had a few mates that were all talking about it, and. Well, and everyone's like, oh, we should do it, you know, and then no one ever did it. You know, months went by and nothing happened. And then one day I was like, gosh, I'm just going to I'm just going to do it, you know. And um, and so I did it. And, we, you know, I got my cousin to do it at the start, the, the website for me. I mean, the build. And it was a super simple website for those who were old enough to remember it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was cheap and simple and nasty. But you know, I was running a lot at that stage and we had access to a lot of the, you know, middle distance runners and all that sort of stuff. And so we were just started trying to produce fun content like, you know, Q&As, blogs, uh, training diaries, all that sort of stuff. And um, just we were just trying to have fun. We didn't have any, you know, illusions of grandeur. We weren't trying to take over or do anything massive. We were literally, we didn't even have a business plan. We just thought, let's just put up a website, have some fun and um, and just see what happens with it, you know. Yeah, and like coming out of uni, you know, obviously you've got you know your career to focus on. Like, was it um, like did it cost a lot of like were there a lot of overheads involved with like setting it up? Yeah, there were. Like, I mean, I think we spent three grand initially to get it all set up, which 
which kind of like was a fair bit of money, like, you know, back then I was in my mid twenties and, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fair bit. And that was a mate straight with my cousin. And then, then running it back then wasn't too expensive, you know, maybe a few hundred a month, but, but these days, I mean, it costs many, many thousands per month to keep that sucker running. Uh, but back then it was, it was a bit cheaper. And then, uh, for those who remember, like we, we did, um, I guess we found a little niche that no one was doing it and we and we became uh, relatively popular, I guess, kind of quickly and then we got some sponsors on board and the sponsors took care of all the bills and, uh, and allowed us to employ, uh, not full-time or anything, but just employ a bunch of riders and video people. And um, and so then we had a few really good years there where we could, we, we worked, you know, really hard on it, you know. Uh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, but it is, it isn't cheap, mate, and uh, it's, the bills just keep coming and like, yeah, it's it's continuous work. It's I must say, like we've had our down years, to be honest with you. Like there's been some years when I've considered just think, oh shit, is this worth it? Uh, but you know, we we stuck with it. So yeah, because I was chatting to you at uh, Ben Liddy's wedding actually about it, and you were saying that you know you pretty much haven't been like you weren't at that point really making a cent from Runners Tribe at all, and. You know, obviously since 2007, like the social media boom has increased so much. So would you say that it's become more challenging or more advantageous as as social media has become more popular? Uh, I mean, it's certainly easy to get traffic with the social media stuff because people like people don't really go to websites. Like, I mean, I, I, they do sometimes, but you know, it's not as if Runners Tribe is the homepage of millions of runners, but they see links on Twitter or on Facebook and then get shared on WhatsApp groups and they click it and go to it like that. So obviously all that tech, all that big tech stuff helps websites get traffic. But at the same point, like all the advertising money, like, you know, especially if we just talk about Australia, like, it, you know, these big companies have advertising budgets, like you name any brand, they have an advertising budget. That advertising budget is not a global budget. It's an Australian budget, right? And, you know, from the Australian division or whatever. Um, and they have X amount to allocate. Um, and the fact is, like, a lot of that money is, is now allocated to social media ads. Um, and it's all just classes, online ads, right, uh, in their marketing departments. And uh, and so what we found in 08, 09 and 2010, uh, a lot of that, we were, it was a lot easier to get, um, you know, big ad deals because, uh, you know, social media wasn't as big as it is now, whereas, whereas now it's a bit, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Like, you know, we deal with a lot of different advertisers, which in itself is hard work because they're all, they're all kind of customers and anyone that's ever been in any sort of business or really had any sort of job, like dealing with a bunch of different customers is, is a lot harder than dealing with one customer. So, yeah. 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 I used to love, um, cause you guys were really the first to bring out a lot of the race videos. Like I still remember, and actually I hassled you a few years ago, like the 2010 New South Wales state champs 15 final. Cause I remember there was yeah. that, that to, um, choir boys run to paradise, I think, but then obviously you must've like redone the website or something and a few of those videos went missing, but, yeah. um, you know, you're in a way like pioneers because like now just about every race is, is you know, broadcast somewhere or, you know, you can find a video of, of particular races, which, you know, wasn't the case back in 2007, 2008. So you've oh, certainly done a, done a lot for the sport. So Yeah, thanks, mate. Like we, we, yeah, we used to, um, I mean, we, we videoed, we did, we had a lot of meets, like in Victoria mm-hmm. meets, in South Wales meets, WA meets, uh, Queensland a bit, and even some of the school meets we got to. And the reason we lost those videos just quickly is because 
we in uh, 2009, Flowtrack reached out for a partnership. Um, and the partnership was, we, you know, I don't think they care if I say it, but we pay like 50 bucks a month to use their platform. And then we get to use all their technology. And they had way, way, way better technology at that point in time than us. And so it was a win for us. But all of our videos were stored there and apparently backed up in the cloud. But when we stopped using their services, somehow those videos vanished. And uh, I know it was a shame. It was a shame. I should have had them backed up in multiple places, but that's life, you know, make mistakes. And off the back of like the website, you've you've done a lot of other things like, you know, you've brought out the um, like the magazines and, you know, you've teamed up with Steigen and, you know, sent out like like socks with those magazines as well. Like how does like where do all these different ideas come from? Um, oh, just randomly. I mean, I think some of the coolest stuff we've done is we hooked up with Ron Clark Um you know, and he actually he actually reached out to us uh, because he had his book, The Unforgiving Minute, and it was out of print. And uh, and then you know, uh, and then we just got talking, and I was like, well, man, let's just reprint it and just put it on Runners Tribe. And and then we did the same with Herb Elliott. Uh, and you know, my through through good friend, my good friend Len Johnson, he put me in touch with Herb, and then Herb was keen. Uh, then we reached out, um, and we did the same with Snell. Uh, Peter Snell's book, uh, and we're actually we're working on um, Murray Halberg's book at the moment. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's some of the coolest stuff we've done because some of these books have been out of print for like decades and decades. And you know, we don't make any money from this, but it's just you know the print costs and everything. It's a huge amount of work trying to bring these books back. It's it's just doing it for fun. Uh, and so it just kind of the cool thing about a website like. Run, like Runners Tribe is that, you know, it's not a great business. It doesn't make much money or anything, but it opens doors and you meet people and you just want things lead to another. And, and it's just, it's a thing of passion really. Uh, and, um, but yeah, the magazine was just, I was uh, at this meeting uh, in uh, this track meeting in um, Perth, like, I don't know, four or five years ago. And the current CEO of AA was there and we had a coffee and, we just started talking smack and, and then the next thing you know, we sh were shaking hands on a magazine, you know. And so that was actually, you know, in partnership with AA and it was really and it was really successful. And then COVID hit and all of our advertisers guarantees just walked away that year. And uh, no, we were we, we, we got hit by COVID. I would love to bring that back. Um, I had a meeting with, you know, AA last week with Peter Bromley and, you know, he's very open minded CEO and uh, and and really I, I think that he his his head and is in the right place, uh, and I think we'll be able to achieve some really cool things moving forward uh, with that new vision in place. You know. Yeah, as you said, it's um, like a passion rather than trying to make money from this. And one thing that I think you guys have done really well recently is um, uh, you've got like a lot of juniors, you know, basically writing for you to say, oh, this is the training that I've been doing, and and a lot of those names I've never heard before. So it's actually giving those younger athletes and up and coming athletes a bit of exposure. Um, to I guess a broader a broader audience so so well done for that and also um, masterstroke getting Len Johnson on as a regular writer that's uh, that's gold oh yeah I mean he's me and Len and me and Len are close and um, uh, Len's been with us since 2008 mm. uh, and he's never wavered you know he writes once a week he sends it through like it pretty much to the minute same time every Friday Arvo and uh, he's a very impressive guy, you know, and if you want to talk about someone who who is passionate and gives up their time, uh, you know, for passion and not money, I mean, he is the best example out there. 
Yeah, we've had him on a few times, and, yeah, he's been very generous with his time. Um, yeah. So looking maybe like five years ahead, like what sort of – where do you want Runners Tribe to go in the future? Uh, we do, To be honest, I just want to keep telling stories of, of up-and-coming runners. Uh, you know, we had uh, – you know, you know, we're not obviously a serious. We don't have a serious podcast, mate. It's just a bit of fun, you know. But we had we chatted to Jenny Blundell like a few months ago, and but before we pressed record, she said um, she was like, oh, I grew up. You know, she told me she that she grew up reading Runners Tribe, and uh, she'd been on the website hundreds of times, reading people's blogs, and and it was just stuff like that. Like you know, I want kids to grow up reading this website uh, ten years from now, and uh, I think it helps maybe uh i don't know this is in my head or it was true but uh, i'm hoping it keeps people on the sport a little bit it helps motivate them and show them that um, there is some exposure to be gained out there uh and uh people are taking note of what you're doing and uh we don't really want to change like all in all we want we want to stay true to that uh and just keep telling stories uh, i'd love to have more content uh to be honest to do like i'd love to be punching out four five six uh new pieces a day but I don't have the time in the day. I've got two kids and, uh, you know, we have a small team, uh, Len, me, and we're maybe like six or seven freelancers around the world at work, but we would need, we would need a lot more people to join up uh, for the love of it, you know, if we, in order to achieve that. But yeah, we just want to be here doing the same thing, you know, and any doors that open like the books and the mags and stuff with AA, any doors that open, man, I'll just walk straight through those doors. You know, I, I pretty much say yes to anything that comes my way as long yeah. as it's not really stupid, you know? Well, uh, speaking of saying yes to things, uh, starting up a running shoe business. Now, so um, the business is Tarkine. Uh, where did this come from? And, like, I'm sure our listeners would be fascinated. Like, how do you go about manufacturing shoes? Like, where do you, where do you even start? Oh, uh, I mean, oh, God, man, it's hard. Uh, where to start? Um I mean, I've, I've been obsessed with shoes for a long time. Uh, I, I, I actually looked into doing this in 2009 and 10 and figured out that I had not even enough money to get a prototype, let alone get a, you know, actual shipment of shoes on the water. Um, and then I just kind of been, it's been in the back of my head and I had this like, little vet hospital in Sydney and, and uh, I decided to sell that in 2017 and then I had a bit of time up my sleeve and um and I just thought, oh, like I'm just going to start tinkering away at this for a bit of a passion, something on the side to just um, work away at. And and I've you know I've always been a bit of a greenie, so I thought, shit, why don't we just try and solve the issue of shoes just getting chucked out um, after they've been used? And so I just kind of put those two things together. And um, you know, how do you do it? Ah, uh, shit, you need contacts in in Asia, uh, unfortunately. Uh, you need, um, I've, I've, I guess. Over the years, I've, I've been good at just um, meeting people and staying in touch with them, just a message once a year or whatever. And some of the people I met uh, were uh, some ex-guys uh, that had spent many, many decades working for some major shoe companies. And uh, and then what a lot of these guys do eventually when they get bored of and, and they get sick of being bossed around by these huge corporates is that they start their own little agencies uh, that are spread across Asia um, and they they help brands. Uh, they, they they pretty much just outsource to any brand that wants them, and you know they do everything from, from design work to sourcing uh, to putting the whole thing together, quality assurance and all that sort of stuff. And I met uh, I met a guy many years ago, and 
he had spent, you know, 35 years with Nike and uh, he left Nike, did his own thing and uh, and I just started uh, stuffing around with him. Uh, and uh, and the way it works is that there's there's prototype um, rooms, uh, sample, sample rooms they call them and uh, and you just you stuff around and you with, with samples and prototypes until you're happy with that prototype and then you try and find a factory that can make that prototype um, you know consistently uh, and and the, for us that involved uh, we went to three or four different factories I, I traveled over to Asia quite a lot um, spent a bit of time Vietnam China all that sort of stuff and and try to figure the whole thing out it's a long road to go down I, I I, you know, sometimes I think I'm a bit of an idiot for doing it, but, um, you know, it is what it is. I'm having fun. It's a bit crazy, but, yeah. So what's it been, th th three years to get to this point, and how many how many different prototypes did you sort of try or test before you've, you know, decided on this one? Oh, I mean, we, look, we, I kind of lost count. I think it was at least 10 prototypes. Um, you know, our first prototype, I've still got it, it was, like, really shit, you know. It was just like a clown shoe. Um, it's amazing how like the CADs and the designs on the computer and then you try and do it in real life and it looks completely different. Um, and so then we decided that factory was useless and moved on to another one. And um, yeah, like it just, it, it, it just, people, I remember someone telling me, you know, uh, oh, how hard is it? You just get a foam whacking up, a bit of foam whacking up on it and boom, it's a running shoe. It's like, holy shit. I mean, making a good running shoe is, is, a, is, there's a lot of science to it and, it's really, really difficult. You know, everything from the foaming processes to the uppers, uh, even the lacing, you know, the eyelets and making those durable. It's all hard. And and the thing about, like, it's not just one factory that makes the whole thing, right? Like, they put it together, sure, but the, there's outsole factories, there's upper factories, there's lace factories. Uh, there's even little companies that make the eyelets, you know, that they're reinforcing uh, the laces go through. And so you're working with six or seven different suppliers, um, and then all these six or seven different suppliers will just literally ship the stuff to the factory and the factory will put it all together. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of moving parts. Um, and that's not even talking about the design and the geometry of the shoe and, you know, the, the midsole formula. The midsole formula is by far the hardest thing. I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, yeah. So I could talk all day, you know, and it's kind yeah. of cool. You know, well, got heaps of quits. So, so what were the priorities for you in terms of the, what you wanted from the shoe? So you've obviously mentioned you wanted it to be eco-friendly, um, yeah. but, but from a performance point of view, what, what did you want from the shoe? So our first shoe, we wanted to be a neutral trainer. Okay. So just to, you know, think, you know, the Pegasus these days has changed a bit, but just think of Pegasus of old, like maybe four or five years ago, just a, a neutral trainer. It's not a huge stack height shoe. Uh, it's not, you know, we're not trying to, you know, mimic, you know, the 40 mil stack heights or whatever. It's got decent, decent stack, you know, but um, it's a neutral trainer uh, and it doesn't have, you know, medial posts as the base of neutral trainer. Um, and I just wanted a workhorse of a shoe that could, you know, uh, we punch out regularly, you know, 1,000, 1,100 Ks per pair and, and uh, then we recycle them. Um, I just wanted a hardy shoe that you could just, you know, do, you know, your long runs in or do your 1K reps in. I'll do whatever you want in, really. You know, I do all my trail running in them, but they don't have lugs. But I just wanted a super hardy, high mileage trainer shoe, uh, pretty much good for anyone. Um, and I wanted to try and, you know, if you try and make everyone happy with your first shoe and it's absolutely impossible. But I also wanted a shoe that kind of looked good enough to just take wear to the cafe, um, yeah. a pair of jeans. And we tried to pull all that off at once and, 
it's not easy, but I think you know the the first shoe it, it does look cool. You know you can you got you know when you wear you can wear it casually or you can wear it long running. You know, um, so I'm pretty happy with what we pulled off of that first shoe. And uh, the real challenge like is the second shoe because we're getting like we're we're gonna we are going the second shoe we're working on working on a much higher stack height shoe with a carbon plate and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to get uh, more technical um, and you know and that's going to be a super big challenge. And when's that one likely to be out on market? Mate, I'd love to tell you about Chrissy, but the harsh reality is that uh, the deadlines, when you're a startup, uh, they, the deadlines don't mean as much. So if, if you have an order of 6,000 pairs of shoes, right, um, these factories kind of laugh at that. Uh, let's say it was 100,000 pairs of shoes, we would reach every deadline you know, to the dot and they, because they just want to get paid for that 100,000 pair order. But if you're putting an order in for 6,000, it's like, yeah, you just get, you kind of get shoved to the back of their line, unfortunately. Uh, and that's the honest truth, you know. And I think definitely I, I found ways to move it forward. I think we should have it by Chrissy, but, yeah, nice. you know, I've just learned, you know, you just got to chill out and just, you know, what will be will be, you know, when it, when it comes, it comes. I just got to do my best from my, my end to make it happen as quick as possible. Yeah, and from a weight point of view, like this first one, sort of similar weight to the Pegasus, oh, sort of yeah. light, lightweight trainer. Yeah, within five grams. Yeah, it's um, I think it's five grams lighter per size. I think um, don't quote me on that because there's different models of Pegasus, but yeah. um, but yeah, it's it's not it's not a super heavy shoe like a um, I don't know, like a lot of the kind of Brooks shoes, but um, it's not super light. Like you know, if you look at um, there's some high mileage trains out there that are you know, ridiculously light and probably don't last very long, you know. And so, you know, making shoes is it's like one big compromise. It's like a lot of things in life, you know, you take and give. And generally speaking, if you want something to be super light, um, you know, it might not, might not last as long as something that's really heavy. Uh, and it's just give and take, you know, uh, and you just got to figure out uh, a compromise as you're happy with, yeah. Are you happy to maybe explain, like not getting into like dollars and cents, but I'd imagine this whole process is quite expensive. And so early on, do you outlay a heap of money and then sort of crowdfund? And like, how, how did that sort of process look for you? And like, were you taking on a massive, a massive risk? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, personally, what happened here is that I took on a massive risk, okay, because I had... Um, I've just—it's not—I've you know, been working uh, as a vet for many, many years, and um, had a I had a business. I've uh, been doing some other investment stuff um, over the years, um, and some of that investment stuff has gone really well for me. And so, for this, it was like it was me taking uh, a pretty much a risk uh, because the kick—you know—we did it crowdfunding with Kickstarter, but that it doesn't really touch the surface. Unfortunately, it helps. Shit, I mean, it was nice to get that huge you know i think we hit our target within a few hours and then we we raised over 100 grand in sales and i was really nice because it just made me feel like i wasn't like a massive idiot you know for doing it but um but yeah it's you know just just to as one example every every single size of shoe half size right so size us size nine and a half size 10 10 and a half 11 every single half size needs its own mold okay and because ours is a nitrogen-infused uh, shoe, we actually need two molds. We need a, a preforming mold, and then we need a you know more standard aluminium mold afterwards. And each mold's about two thousand US dollars. Okay, 
Um, this, the first mold's a bit cheaper, maybe five, six hundred US. And so you're looking for each half size, two and a half thousand roughly US, and you need 20 sizes. Okay, so mm. doesn't take long to do the math on on two and a half thousand US times 20. That's just to make the molds. You haven't actually made a shoe yet. You've just made the molds. Okay, and so uh, and then you know, and then you've got to pay for all the all those different six or seven suppliers, all their little bits that they then mail to the factory. Uh, and then the factory puts it all together and then you've got to pay for the shipping, the insurance. Uh, I mean, just a sea container, we paid $15,000 to get our sea container from um, from A to B. Um, that's including everything from the port charges to everything. But it's, yeah, it's hard, man. And we took a big risk on it um, and hopefully it pays off. Hopefully we survive. And But our, our, our real goal is that we want to try and change also how things are done. And, you know, a pair of tarpines should never end up in landfill uh, and other brands, like, you know, we're just trying to call other brands out. Like, every single brand can afford to recycle shoes. They're just not doing it because they don't have to. Uh, and they they should be. They should be rewarding people for recycling them. Uh, and I think some uh, there is a few brands that are really getting into this space now. But the rest of them need to follow. Um, and hopefully, you know, I want to see them follow. You know, I want, you know, in a year from now, I want every single brand to be taking responsibility for the full uh, life cycle of their shoes and that would be a great sign uh, and um, you know that you know hopefully that happens yeah so I don't know a lot about like recycling shoes but is it um, the shoes now need to be made differently for them to be recyclable or like yeah. how does that how does that all work what makes a recyclable shoe yeah so in many ways like obviously the more parts to a shoe the harder it is to recycle so if you have like a let's just take a trail shoe with a mesh upper and it's got uh overlays over the toe box and you know the ends tips of the toes uh and it's got maybe some overlays over the heel counter uh and it's got you know a toe plate uh and it's got a full length outsole uh and then it's got all this different stuff in the in the inner lining of the shoe laces a little style at the end of the laces all that sort of stuff you know, the more parts, the harder it is to cycle, right? And so, you know, you see our first shoe, it's pretty much a one-piece upper uh, and then midsole outsole. Um, and, you know, so we did a lot of R&D with recycling companies um, as we were making the shoe and we were, and, and a lot of work was put in trying to design a shoe which then could then be easily taken apart and recycled. Uh, and so you really, you really need to start with the design process. Like when you're doing your initial sketches, uh, we then get turned into, you know, computer, you know, CADs, uh, graphics, um, you need to uh, have the end idea in mind. So, and, and to do that, you need to sit down with a recycling company and say, hey, you know, here's our initial design. This is each part's going to be made of this. Um, and then uh, you need to make prototypes and those prototypes of cycling company um, and make sure they can recycle it. So we worked with three different recycling companies and the third one, we found actually uh, um, has simplified the process. They can recycle so many different products. And um, but for example, our midsole and outsole can get turned into rubber mats, um, yoga mats, rubber mats. Um, even vet hospitals have these little rubber mats that they put in cages for for dogs and for dogs mainly uh, for the big cages that dogs stand in. Uh, and we can make those rubber mats, which is really cool. And so, um, but yeah, to answer your question, uh, it's you, you've got to try and keep the shoes as simple as you can in terms of you know, not not using a crazy number of different – doesn't mean you have to take away from performance because, you know, having 20 different parts doesn't necessarily make it a better running shoe, right? Yeah, and I think that's what I like. Like, the fact that you have been, like, a relatively elite 
athlete, you don't want to create like an eco-friendly shoe that's crap to run in. Like you still want it to, you still want it to perform, which sounds like, oh, you know, this is what, what yeah. you've done. Yeah. It's 100% more important to have a shoe that, you know, if you don't have a shoe that's amazing to run in, you're going to fail very, very quickly. Uh, you know, you're going to be dead and you're not even going to ever place a second order of shoes. You'd just be dead, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've been prototyping the shoe. Uh, we've got a lot of runners, you know, in Perth that have been doing big mileage in it. I mean, it's a really, it's an awesome running shoe, you know. Um, but I think my point is that, like, um, there are a lot of good running shoes out there. Uh, and so we just thought, you know, let's create a good running shoe, an awesome running shoe to run in, and uh, let's couple it with the eco stuff. And and also I think my main issue, my main one of my main points is let's get an Australian company doing this, okay? Because, you know, there is in the long run maybe no reason why people need to be supporting uh, German companies and American companies uh you know, um, I think that if an Australian company can do it and survive and succeed and prosper um, and then employ Australians uh, and the money can kept in Australian and, and, you know, maybe we can advance Australian athletics and Australian running by having a lot of that money staying in Australia and then sponsoring teams and sponsoring athletes. And, you know, you just look at look at the stuff that happens overseas. I mean, it's all you need money to do anything Uh successfully really and when it comes to elite sport uh and so you know i think it's more than just being eco-friendly obviously that's our edge but you know i love the idea of having a successful australian company you know creating a running shoe that can then get behind from a grassroots level all the way to elite i saw on your facebook that you've started to try and get a bit of an elite elite squad happening um is that based just over in wa oh it is for now just because you know, because we're in contact so much with them. But no, we want to, we, it's going to be Australia wide. Uh, we want to be, you know, grabbing athletes from all over the country. Uh, and obviously, we just have one shoe right now, right? And so we're not asking these athletes to race in our shoes because they're not racing shoes, you know. It's going to take years to have, uh, you know, spikes. Um, and, you know, we can definitely, you know, I'm working with this factory at the moment, like uh, on a Pebax based shoe. And, um, the, the cool thing that's happening at the moment is that, uh, you know, the technology that these the biggest companies out there have um, is being levelled. Uh, and 100% every single brand is going to have Pebax-based carbon fibre-plated shoes very, very, very soon. Uh, even little startups like Tarkine are, um, and, uh, the, you know, the, the playing field is going to be incredibly levelled. Yeah. And, um, you know, you mentioned before, like, you took a massive financial risk, but even given that, you, you're still willing to donate a percentage of every shoe towards, um, was it the Bob Brown Foundation? Um, do you yeah. want to mention a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, and and, and and this will turn some people off. You know, I had um, I had this old friend that I used to run with. Uh, he was a pretty good 800 runner. I won't say his name because he get pissed off at me. But um, And he was like, man, I'm not going to get behind that shit, you know, that greeny shit. I'm like, that's cool. I mean, uh, I don't care, you know. Um, it's, you know, we, we are trying to, you know, I've always believed in that sort of stuff. I've always been a greeny. And, um, and, you know, I'm a runner that loves running through bush and loves running through beautiful parts of the world. And, um, and, and it is, you know, in Tasmania right now, we have literally Australia's Amazon. Like the Amazon of the Southern Hemisphere is in Tasmania and our government is literally just chopping it down for Chinese mines and, you know, logging for shit that we don't need. And, um, you know, the world's moved on from that. And, and, and Australia is so far behind. And, uh, you know, and it's going to turn a lot of people who hate, you know, who 
who hate the greenie stuff away and, and that's cool you know and we're, we're donating two percent of every sale uh, to but to that to that organization to try and fight and save these amazing places and i think that's something that patagonia the big brand that i love have done so well and i you know i, I want to see other brands doing it why aren't why aren't all these other running shoe companies doing doing things to help um, and being open and transparent. You know, we, we send our books to this organization so they can see our revenue and, and, and make sure we're not full of shit, you know. Uh, and, you know, we're hoping, to, we're hoping to change the way things are done a little bit. Yeah, well, hats off to you for, like, I don't know, just everything you do, like, you always have, you know, you're not, not scared to have a crack, you know, like Runner's Tribe and now this. And so if people want to, um, like, support your company, like, what's, what's the best way for them to, like, order shoes? Uh, just tarkline.com, you know, tarkline.com. Uh, and, you know, uh, just in, if you have any just questions, just email me. You know, I'm not, you know, I will get back to anyone, you know, within 48 hours, I'll get back to anyone that emails me. It's just sam at tarkline.com, okay? Um, any questions, I don't care how stupid or silly it is, or if you just want to abuse me, just email me and um, and I can help you, um, you know, get your first pair of tarklines and, and you can check them out. You know, we, um, you know, for those who a lot of people are wary buying online, we have free, free refunds, free exchanges. Uh, there's no risk involved. Um, if you need to ship them back, we pay the shipping, all that sort of stuff. So it's literally no risk. And um, be, you know, yeah. So don't feel free to reach out. You're a good man, Sammy. I um, I appreciate you giving up your time today, and and all the best with it. And um, yeah, just I guess thanks for everything you've done with the sport. You know, like Runners Tribe's been great. Um, you know, you're doing a great thing in the shoe shoe area now so um yeah all the best with it thanks coach so keep up the great work mate with the podcast i love it you know i listen i listen every week when i'm out on a long run and it's um it's good times i love the banter so <laughs> yeah and we appreciate you guys like supporting us by putting the show notes up each week so thanks for that ah oh, no as always a pleasure